Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Hello and welcome to episode 196 of Slam Fire Radio for March 3rd, 2017. I am one of your hosts, Adriel Michaud. And I'm another one of your hosts, Kelly Lynn. I am the Frelate. I am the McClatchy. <laughs> yeah, mix it up. I like oh, it. Yeah, the good yeah, guys. good. Right? You guys go names, we go names, you go nicknames, we go nicknames. Of course, you never go nickname. You're like, you want the name Frosty to like be buried, but we're going to bring that back. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then McClatchy and I made. were like, McClatchy and I are like, yeah, let's lay down the nicknames. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a warning shot. Yeah, well, I thought I'd mix it up again. <laughs> well, uh, well, warning shot. Uh, how many warning shots have you made in the last week? No noise. No. no noise. However, I am on the board of directors at the local gun club. Sweet. Oh, there we go. And I didn't even show up for the yearly meeting. <laughs> I forgot. It was Wednesday night, last night, two nights ago. Well, I don't, I don't know. No, Tuesday night. It was Tuesday night, two nights ago. And uh, I went flying instead. And I got home and uh, I was like, what day is it? And I looked on the calendar. Oh, crap. I was supposed to go to the gun club meeting. So I emailed the president. Actually, I Facebooked him. And I said, sorry, man, I know I was supposed to show up for that and see if I could get voted in to help you out on the director board thingamajigger there. He goes, oh, don't worry, I'll put your name in, you're in. Awesome. <laughs> that's, Good enough. Yep, that's, they did that to me uh, last go-around for vice president. I yep. intentionally didn't go to the meeting. Yep. And then after the meeting, I was told that I was the new first vice president. <laughs> well, in fairness, I did tell him that I was willing to do it. So in he, fairness, he least, I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> he at least knew that I was. Uh, I wanted to uh, help him out there. So I'm not. He he told me there's not much responsibility involved, which is perfect. Perfect. Because I'm That's not, what you like. Yeah. I'm not really into the responsibility. He said he mostly wants me to, um, because he and I think a lot alike on a lot of issues. He just wants another vote in his pocket, basically, and somebody mm-hmm. to show up on range day to help uh, clean up because hardly anybody else does. So I said I am more than help, happy to help out with that stuff because uh, the range definitely needs uh, some some TLC. That's well, perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So anyway, hopefully uh, we can we can uh, make the gun club an even better place, Sweet. and maybe I'll even go out and shoot every now and then. <laughs> maybe we can get back on the Ipsic track for that place. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Even yeah, if they're little level it. ones, whatever. Yep. Exactly. Just something Work to. With what you have. Yep. Yep. And we got a, a pistol bay that would allow that. So I mean, mm-hmm. we could even with some with some creativity, we could even get a level two in there. Yeah, if you were to use the 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 new pistol bay and the old and the uh, the two other berms on the yeah. rifle range and the old yeah. pistol bay, yeah, and we just do like we do in Capillet, a couple of stages here, a couple of stages there. That's right, and just kind of rotate through. Yeah, and yep. there's you know everything has to go straight down range into the berm, but that's whatever. fine. Whatever. whatever. Only whatever. on the rifle bays, on the pistol bays, we got uh, oh, 180. Are they? Uh, they're, they yeah, they're, the berms are on the sides. They're almost as high as the one in the back. So, but have they, they have to be inspected and approved? Oh, okay. Well, I'm not yeah. sure about that, but They've I'm sure be we could 
four meters and 35 degrees. And don't quote me on the degrees, but definitely sure. four meters high. Sure. They, they look like they're at least four meters high, but uh, whatever. We can get that sorted out with the CFO's office and get yeah, someone yeah, yeah. to inspect them Minor if you have details. to. I mean, we're, we're kind of jumping the gun here. <laughs> well, you know, if you ask <laughs> for a yacht, you get, Okay, well, yeah. what's, what's the next steps to get Nipsic going? Nationals <laughs> next year. Let's go. Next year, we're going to host nationals, right, guys? They're like, what? <laughs> Who's this guy? Fire him quick. <laughs> Doc is uh, paid first. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah, that's uh, that's all I did, which was nothing, but turns out to be a lot. Wait. So, Trevor, guess, uh, what, yeah. what were you up to? Um, you know, some archery. Um, I have been shooting tournaments almost every weekend, and I finally got on the podium last weekend in Bathurst. Uh, the last. Congratulations. Thank you. My last three shoots, my scores have been coming up more and more. Uh, new bow, which I only started shooting late January. And then I made a change to it and uh, just more arrows and it's really starting to come together and I'm enjoying it. And had that, <laughs> that having been said, I haven't shot since that tournament. <laughs> I, I knew there was no upcoming archery tournaments. Well, actually there was supposed to be one on the weekend, but I was going to go to a revolver shoot and said, and uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, I'll get back at it here after the March break. Uh, I went to, well, you talked about this last weekend. I went 1022 shooting with muffin. Or you talked about this, Matthew, on, on last week's show. I just wanted to touch upon how happy I am with the camo 1022 that has the barrel that's Cerakoted that a listener sent me. And it's got the receiver that went through the house fire. So we got the receiver sandblasted and Cerakoted and the little part that was damaged on the inside with the guide rod goes. That was rebuilt by the uh, gunsmith. And the rece- the bolt was seized inside the receiver, chopped off the guide rod, got that taken off. And... Uh, got that bolt sandblasted and then polished and took the internals or the, 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 the parts off of the other bolt because I upgraded that bolt with uh, Volkortzen parts. So the firing pin, the firing pin return spring, uh, extractor, extractor spring and guide rod all out of the, you know, the camo 1022 that I brought home from Halifax. And I had that thing shooting iron sights at 50 meters and I was two to three inches um, cool. which, yeah, I'm totally happy with that. So uh, is it Ruger Iron Sights or? You know, the front one is, Kelly, but I don't believe the rear one is. The rear one has two fiber optic. Uh, no, it's not that. Yeah, so yeah, I had a hard time to get it zero, too. I couldn't get the rear sight low enough to really zero it at 50. It was still shooting a little bit high at 50. Um, so so I'm gonna, what did you do? I just uh, got it as low as I could and called it a day. Okay. So ultimately, I'm going to check it again at 25, and this gun will only ever have iron sights, so I'm going to zero it at 25 and and call it good. And I got to make an adjustment on the windage, but I didn't have any any tools to to do that, no punches or anything. So, mm-hmm. so the other the other 1022, the one with the um, target barrel that's all been Cerakoted black, that's going into the uh, Magpul stock. That is all set. The Volkortzen uh, guide rod and charging handle. And firing pin, and um, it needs a firing pin return spring. Actually, if anybody has one and can throw it in the mail for me, that's the last <laughs> thing. I, last thing I need to get that gun going. I check with Sticks and Stacy. Um, they also help me do the. Oh, this is bad. So you guys know that you with the 1022, you can do the auto bolt uh, modification. You can right. buy the new piece, or you can modify the piece in the gun. Yeah. So just just for our listeners who might not know, what's the auto bolt? Is that so it makes it fully automatic, so you can uh, shoot real fast? Yes, that that's exactly that, that's yep, exactly <laughs> what it does. Yep. So um, <laughs> 1022, 
1022 is a pretty horrible design. It's got a single guide rod from the factory. That guide rod is basically pitted and looks like it was polished with gravel. Um, so, it's, and the, um, the bolt buffer is a steel pin. So that's, that's really good too. And it doesn't lock open on an empty mag. No. And did, when the, I was going to say, did you put, replace it with a polymer buffer though yet? I'm getting there. Okay. When, doesn't lock open on an empty mag and when you do lock it open you can't just pull the charging handle back and let it go and have you actually have to press a little uh, bolt release button underneath the receiver it's just awful design so but you can either replace that part or modify that part so that you can have it auto bolt release where you just pull the bolt back and let it go so i was working on that I went to, looked at the pictures online, went to a couple of YouTube videos. So I'm doing my little homemade gunsmithing work with the file and the Dremel and stuff. And it won't work. I reassemble it and it, and try it again. Doesn't work. Disassemble it. Look at it. Take off more material. Reassemble it. And this went on for like two hours. And Stacy's trying to talk me through it. And she even made a comment once. She said something like, <laughs> if it was anybody else. I double checked to make sure you reassembled it correctly. Well, she should have double checked because that was the problem. Yeah, I didn't reassemble it correctly. I didn't have the sp- it's spring activated, and I didn't have yeah. the spring engaging the auto bolt release. Yeah, you, so next time I'll check with you, Kelly. You sound like yeah, yeah. I know what you did wrong, you meathead. Were you doing it over Voxer? No, no. I wasn't. Okay. Oh yeah, I remember. That. Yeah, that was funny too. Yeah, we know Voxer doesn't work so well for relaying instructions for disassembling no. guns. And and being angry. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, to, to come back to your question, Kelly, I did order two of the Volkortzen, um silicone buffers that replace that steel pin at the back of the receiver. This is why the 597 design is so much better than the 1022. The 1022 has one steel guide rod that the bolt rides on, and then it kind of fits in a groove on the receiver. The 597 has two, two polished tool steel guide rods, and that action cycles back and forth like butter the other thing about the 1022 is people talk about drilling a hole in the back of the receiver so you can run your cleaning rod all the way through without disassembling or removing the barrel or anything like that uh the and the bolt buffer in the 1022 is a steel pin on the 597 the bolt buffer is rubber and it comes away from the factory and you know what happens when you remove that buffer out of the receiver there's your hole to put your there's Mm -hmm. your hole to put your cleaning rod through so anyway um i'm not sure which one i'm going to use for maple seed uh probably the 597 i'm not sure because my 597 is is awesome i just had the barrel polished it has a volkortzen hammer and carbo spring kit i gave it to muffin to try the other day and he immediately Mm -hmm. had ad with it as soon as he put his finger on the trigger because he's got a factory stock 1022 trigger which is only marginally better than a factory stock 795 before it breaks in. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I stop you there? You have yeah. a, bear, a barrel on a Remington five, 597 polished? Yes. So my Remington 597, when purchased, came in the VTR configuration, which has a wannabe AR chassis on it that allows you to put a buffer tube and actual AR handguards and AR uh, pistol grips. And once you've got the buffer tube on there, then you can put on whatever kind of stock you want. Mine actually came with a, an A2 stock, which I took off and we put on somebody's rifle down the road um so the barrel was satin blued maybe or maybe it wasn't parkerized because it was you can parkerize steel but anyway it was a matte black finish Mm -hmm. and i ordered a um 
Boyd's SS Evolution stock in sky blue. So it's a beautiful blue laminated stock altering different shades of blue in the laminate. And I saw a picture of that rifle online in that stock with a stainless steel barrel. And so I thought, hmm, I want that. So I had my barrel polished. Now the downside to that is it's not stainless steel. So I pretty much have to keep it covered or a thin layer of oil and watch the humidity level and stuff. And so when it's in storage, it's covered in oil. And when I take it out to the range, I'll wipe it off. And then when I come back, I put another thin layer of ballast all on it just to keep the moisture off of it. So um, somebody said I could lacquer it with clear lacquer. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I end up uh, so we'll see. So anyway, um, and then Muffin and I on the weekend, Saturday, this past Saturday, we went to the range with our revolvers, me with my 686 and my 29-2 and him with his 586 to zero them at 50 because the next day we were supposed to be in the Miramichi for a silhouette revolver shoot mm-hmm. minimum distance 25 meters maximum distance 100 meters and it's like your regular silhouette shoot you've got chickens turkeys pigs and rams and uh we got nailed with a freezing rain storm and uh and didn't make it out of town the next morning so i tried i got on the highway and i drove for like 10 minutes and was like, nope, I'm doing 60. I'll never get there in time. Turn around and went home. And then I bought um, my Savage Lee Enfield back from Snuffleupagus. And tomorrow I'm supposed to give him a deposit on my jungle carbine. It's like a pawn shop, kind of. I needed money, so I pawned him <laughs> to Enfields. And now I'm getting them back. And then I'm still working on two surprises that I will only be discussing during our bonus episodes. So both kind of cool and both kind of a surprise and interesting. It's uh, for my birthday, isn't it? Has nothing to do with you. Like it's so remote. <laughs> Thanks. No, there's no crossover there whatsoever. But now speaking uh, of crossover, it's not to do a surgery of any kind. No, that's not that kind of a surprise. <laughs> Still identifying as a meat-eating conservative male, and uh, yeah. So, but anyway, they're they're kind of interesting little tidbits. Um, no, not little tidbits actually. They involve uh, firearms, obviously. But I'm going to save that just for the Patreonies. So yeah, and that's it for me. What about you, Adriel? What have you been up to? I just can't help myself here. Um, okay, so on what was that Saturday or Sunday? Uh, I want to say Saturday. I was out at the range. My buddy got a shipment of uh, X-Metal targets. So our uh, executive at uh, at our range approved of uh, a, a pretty substantial budget for us this year. And we ended up getting a bunch of X-Metal targets. Um, we would normally buy stuff from MGM, but the the exchange rate right now is, is ridiculous. And so is shipping. And uh, our, our better buy was from, uh, uh, from a Canadian company. So we went with X-Metal and we got... Uh, oh, his truck box all loaded up and uh, brought out to the range and kind of unboxed a bunch of stuff. Uh, we unboxed uh, a plate rack, uh, a couple of dueling trees, and then four spinners, uh, two horizontal and then two vertical spinners. Which, and, which plate uh, rack model did you go with? Uh, it's the one where they hang down and you nice. shoot them and they pop up. And then there's the one on the right that you shoot to reset the whole thing. Yeah, um, we've got that. I don't know if we have It's so that. heavy. It is, man. <laughs> It is, but it's also very portable. You can take it apart, take the legs yes. off. It's definitely a two-man operation, but it's um, so you got the full the full meal deal. You got the plates on top, and then the hangers to put the plates on the bottom. Uh, 
Ours works with a rope to reset the top, but on the bottom, we can take. No, they're just they're they're just hanging down. They're hanging down. You shoot them, they flip up and they stay up. And then there's the one target you shoot and it knocks them all down. Again. Oh, that's a different one than we have. Wow, that's a, I don't know if that's newer. It's auto auto resettable. It's uh, it's really cool. It's heavy, mm-hmm. but the uh, it, it, you can tell it's really uh, well designed stuff because like the bases of them, they're they're all kind of similar. So all those spinners, the the four spinners that we got, they'll all work with the same base. They they don't really care which base you throw them on. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the spinners themselves looked really good. Uh, I really like the dueling trees. Like all yeah. that stuff was like the plate rack was the only one where it's like, man, this thing's really heavy. But it's like that, it's it's a standard fixture at uh, at most of these shoots. So, um, you know, so so we ended up getting that one. The that spinners. Plate, um, um. So go ahead. Well, I was gonna say that dueling tree. Um, mm-hmm. you know, all their plates AR five hundred. We uh we've shot the dueling tree against each other using rifles at fifty meters. Oh man! Well, if we can do that, that'll be cool. We got mm-hmm. the armored ones because uh, we want to buy something that you know will last and and won't take a bullet in the wrong spot and then die. So, mm-hmm. um, really great looking stuff, and uh, I'm really uh, I'm the, those spinners. I I we we had a chance to shoot one last year uh, that uh, that just one of the uh, we had them on the show the the uh, pro shooters from Saskatchewan that. Uh, that shoot for Newcomb Gunworks, they brought out a spinner and it was so much fun because <laughs> it, we put it on the shotgun range and you got to see people shooting it with a cylinder bore could not make that thing spin <laughs> for the life of them. <laughs> so it was, it was really important to get your choke selection down. And, uh, and now we got four of these things. So we got a ton more steel. That was the stuff from X metal. Um, we also got a bunch of knockdown targets from, uh, from just a local provider here. Uh, I think we got 25 of those. So last year we ended up using a whole bunch of clay targets and you know, clay as you think, well, well, clays are cheap. We shot a thousand dollars worth of clay targets last year. Uh, <laughs> and you, you like that, you don't like, get them back that's every year. You don't get them back. Yeah, they're gone. You, you spend a thousand bucks on a steel prop. Guess what? It's still there. Yeah. Yeah. And for the amount of, you know, we, we do uh, uh, shoot once a month. A lot of this steel stuff, air 500 thick armored, it's, it's going to last decades for a shooting club like ours. Um, so, so like, yeah, excellent stuff. Really glad that, glad that we got our, uh, the, the, the budget that we got from our executive. Cause, uh, man, like this is, this is some really cool targetry. And I think with more steel, we'll be able to put more people through, uh, in a shorter period of time. There won't be like, you know, I, I remember on the shotgun course having, four people reset all of those clay targets. You know, we, we have a lot of those clay stands, which are kind of like a steel spike you put in the ground and you throw a, a clay target in it. Um, you don't need to do that. Now you just go grab the piece of steel and you, and you stack it up. Right. And, uh, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, so it's going to, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a really cool year for, uh, for three gun, those, those plate racks and all that kind of thing are really cool. Uh, one of our members made a breaching door, which is like a, uh, a door that you you either kick in or shoot the the uh, quote unquote lock. Really, what it is, just a piece of wood that that holds mm-hmm. the door closed. Mm-hmm. But uh, some really fun fun stuff that you see in in a lot of uh, in a lot of bigger shoots that we're starting to get now uh, at the the Chaz Three Gun League. So um, really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. Um, um, I can't wait to you know we didn't have a deviation form in place to shoot those uh, those X metal targets uh, this weekend. Uh, but I can't wait for our first shoot to uh, to start using those things because, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, uh, a spinner, you have to do nothing, right? You set it up, and it's like, okay, make it spin. 
and after that person has made it spun, guess what? It's reset. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's going to cut down on, on the time of, of resets and uh, make it so we can put more shooters through. I think, you know, when, when I look at, my, at the local market here in Edmonton, there are a ton of people that want to shoot three-gun. Um, and, you know, last year we found when we got 35 people, it would be a bit too much. You get people out doing patching, people out doing like clay resetting, and just it just wasn't fast enough. Um, but with more steel, I think we're going to be able to, uh, to fit more shooters in. Um, and that's a good thing. You know, it's, it's a, it, uh, my, my opinion, it's a, a really sweet sport. Um, what else did I do? I shot some groups with the uh, XCRL. Um, Trevor, Adam, what kind of accuracy did you get with your XCRM? With this one, I was getting. I didn't have like right M. around. I had, I, I had a Gen 2L. Oh, you had a Gen 2L. What were you shooting out of it? I tried everything, man, and I didn't have a. I had a decent enough scope. I had a. I had a. Um, a Diamondback, three and a half to twelve power with a fifty millimeter objective. Mm-hmm. On a burst prep mount, plep mount, whatever that thing is Pepper. called, yeah, that thing. And man, I tried 55 grain all the way to 69 grain. So I tried those three. I tried 55, 62, and 69, mm-hmm. and I was never impressed by it. I mean, it was always, oh, it had to be always two inches. Well, that sounds that sounds about right for what I was getting. Um, this is a Gen One that I was shooting. Mm-hmm. And I had a 15 times, uh, what is this, Trophy X30, a Bushnell Trophy X30 on it, which was okay. Um, and uh, so I, sh- I shot a couple different kinds of ammo. <laughs> the Tula ammo, I-, I have some 62 grain Tula. It patterned like a shotgun. It was terrible. <laughs> I was shooting and I was, I, with the scope, I could I could see the bullet holes very clearly uh, on paper. And I was like, what? I didn't shoot. I didn't pull the trigger over there. I pulled the trigger right over there. Anyways, it, it was terrible. Um, but then I, I, I pulled in some PMC 55 grain stuff, and that stuff was grouping right around the two to three inch uh, area. Um, so uh, similar to, to your experience, I guess. I, I could have had some. Yeah, I could have had some even even worse than two inches. Two inches is probably the best I ever got. Um, oh, Matthew, the, the Tula was so much worse. The Tula was like I, I would be generous calling it eight inches. It was just all over the place. Wow. Yeah. Matthew, what's that range that we used to go to near your parents' place? Um, which one? I thought there was only one by your parents' place. <laughs> I don't remember going to a it's range in, by my parents' place. It's in a gravel pit. It could just be a gravel pit that we go to. No, it was a ranch. We used to have to sign in and put up flags. And... Oh, that was Florenceville. That was before they moved. Yeah. They're not there anymore. Okay. Um, that's where I did the testing that time. I don't know. I don't suppose you remember what it well, you didn't even remember what range we were at. Never mind. I, yeah, I remember Probably that one not time the... we were there. I remember yeah. there were trees. Wait. Yep. Or gravel. And, and the there was sun a flag. Was there was, well, yeah. Or it was yeah. cloudy. One or the other. It was the day we were there, and I was shooting my XCR with 69-grain ammo. I don't remember that. I have pictures somewhere, Adriel, of the groups, and uh, I will see if I can find that at some point and Facebook it over Do you remember what the groups were? Uh, Bad. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, this one was fine. Um, (laughs) Well, well, I I consider for for a a rifle like this, I consider two to three inches about what what I would expect. Um, If I got two to three-inch groups out of my AR... With a heavy match barrel on it, I'd be pissed. But uh, with an XCR, with with a uh, essentially what's what's a 
uh, combat rifle at two to three inches seems about right to me. Uh, I don't know. I mean, three inches is, is no. I think that gun, at, at, at the price point that gun is, and it is a heavy barrel, I think an inch and a half to an inch is what you should be getting out of the box with decent ammo and, and a decent piece of glass. I don't know. It's, it, so it's piston-driven. Um, like, how many how many piston-driven semi-autos do you see with one-inch accuracy? H&Ks. Which H&K? The 416s that are three grand or? Yeah. Well, they're three grand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're restricted. And <laughs> yeah. Well, my yeah. STI will, will shoot an inch with 55-grain ammo. And Your it's a STI AR, AR style? Yeah, it's got a it's got a stag. That's not piston though. That's that's no. But what what difference does that make? Ah, it's less moving parts and and uh, you know the if you well you you broke your XCR down. It's it's a long stroke. Uh, the the piston system's like an AK, right? It's it's but made for reliability. I think the the um, the accuracy issues with the XCR are the fact that the barrel is held in with one bolt. And the locking lugs aren't all that true to the breech face. It's just, uh, you know, like you said, Maybe. it is. It's it's made it's made for. I think it's yeah. made for a different use. So if you're looking for the, like a great accurate rifle that's semi-automatic, that um, yeah, get the Alberta the, the AR. The AR is is an amazing. Or, or the yeah, the ATRS would be a, would be a great one uh, as well. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's some other like really cool things on it. Um, I'm not, yeah, there the the use case for it is escaping me right now. But uh, but the fact that you can swap barrels on it is is kind of interesting. The fact that you can go to like a, you know, if you if you want to shoot a two two three, you can do that. If you want to move over to your three hundred blackout or a seven sixty by thirty nine, you can do that on on that same platform. Yeah, the um, caliber conversion kits used to be in the seven hundred dollar range. I'm not sure now with the dollar being what it is if they're if they're more, but yeah, even if they're up to a thousand bucks, you spend three grand on a, on a new rifle and a thousand dollars and get a whole new caliber, a whole new. No, this this one was used and it came with, uh, and it was way less than that. So no, if, if you're looking at prices, these things, yeah. wow, uh, yeah, I mean, for, for this used was was definitely the way to go because it was less than three thousand dollars with the caliber conversion kit and. Oh yeah, I'm talking new prices used. I mean, yeah. they were eighteen used. Now they're upwards of twenty twenty two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I'm 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 still working on that, so I'll uh, I'll get a full review of that thing out sooner or later here. Um, I got my uh, so the the Dylan Square deal that I've been using to to churn out nine millimeter with <laughs> is old as dirt, uh, but Dylan has a lifetime warranty, and um, re- I had requested a, a bunch of replacement parts from Dylan uh, to kind of refurb this one, and they just said, "Well, just send it in." So I. <laughs> sent in this Dylan Square deal back to him, and they they just sent it back. I've got some uh, I got some pictures up on Instagram, and uh, they brand replaced they replaced a bunch of stuff. They didn't. It's it's not a brand new press. It no, looks the like frame a brand is new the press. same. The frame is the same and clean, yep. and everything else is new. Yeah, yeah, it uh, amazing. You know, I I, uh, I really like Lee because I I like a, a lower price point. I don't really see the value in a, in a lifetime warranty, but man, like. I saw the value of a lifetime warranty with yep. this thing. Yeah, they, I just, they moved but, to a new powder thrower, and yeah. uh, that's new. And the priming system that I had ha- been having issues with before, that's all brand new, and it's got a, like all that stuff's been updated. It's all 
Uh, and and when they update, it, it's like, ah, oh, should we uh, should we retrofit this? Is like, nope, new one. Just put the new one on there and send it back. And uh, it didn't even take that long. I think it was six weeks at, nice. to the states and back. Oh, totally refurbished. For totally. Oh yeah, uh, amazing. So yep. uh, you can't go wrong with the Dylan stuff, and this is why. And yeah, you call them up and say, I broke this, and they don't even ask how or what you did. Okay, like I, I think I told the story before. I, I somehow while moving. I lost one of the rubber feet off of my Dylan vibratory tumbler. So I called them and was willing to pay. I'm like, yeah, I was moving and I somehow knocked a foot off my tumbler. Can I, can I order one, please? Not a problem. We'll put one in the mail. Two came in the mail because this guy's <laughs> dumb enough to lose one. Chances are in the future, he could lose <laughs> another one. They sent me two. So uh-huh. I just, I just pulled the trigger on a, on a bunch of stuff for my Lee, um, turret press. It's a, it was an old school turret press with a three hole tool head and mm-hmm. the auto, um, indexing there. Yes. Thank you. The auto indexing rod, uh, didn't fit with the Ram that was in the press. So it has to have a special cutout. Anyway, the heck with it. I, when I was, I was doing a, a retro fit to my bench a couple of weeks ago and I dropped the turret press and I smashed the powder measure off. So I bought the upgrade kit for that. And I thought, well, why don't I upgrade it to the four hole? And then yesterday I ordered a bunch of tool heads and powder measures so that my classic press will be set up for 30 carbine. Oh, yeah. I'm picking up my 30 carbine on the weekend. Um, 30 carbine, 44 and 45 ACP uh, with just swapping the tool head. And now my turret press is progressive, auto indexing and uh, and set up for three different calibers. But. I I'd throw it all away for for one square deal because you love yours, Captain Andy loves his. Mm-hmm. They're backed up by Dylan. And and what 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 are they going for, Adriel? When you find one, buy them used. Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> They've saying. They've got a lifetime warranty. That's what I'm saying. When, <laughs> what are they going for when you find them? Oh, uh, you you won't want to know what I, what that one cost. You it, it was a hundred dollars. Yeah, uh, you got that dirt cheap years and years and years ago. But uh, what what are they going no, for used no, now? No no like, no no used. Used. I keep saying used as well, Adriel. I've, yeah. I've not said new. $100. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> a bunch of other stuff on it. But then the, the, the warranty's lifetime, right? Anyways, Dylan's awesome. Yeah. I mean, get, like, like I've got that Pro 1000. I've, I've got a couple of other presses. For 9mm, I wouldn't use anything else. That Square Deals is what's is, is really the, the, the best that I've got. There's probably some better presses out there to be faster for the price. Man, this thing is a good deal. Anyways, <laughs> okay, on from the square deal. Um, oh yeah, and then, and then I got these uh, Tacom uh, sixteen shot shell holders um, from Tacom. They're they're uh, an American. They make just like strictly plastic uh, shotgun reholder, uh, uh, not reholders, um, shell holders. Uh, so they don't have an aluminum backing or anything like that. Uh, otherwise, they're very similar to the um, uh, Invictus practical ones out there. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm holding in my hand right now. I'm just I'm just contemplating whether I'm going to learn strong hand reloading or I'm going to continue with weak hand over the season. So strong hand reloading is where you're uh, if you're right handed, you're grabbing grabbing the shells with your right hand. You're keeping the shotgun up and on your shoulder. And you're pulling your shot shells up, to, like basically to your jaw, and and slapping them in the the uh, loading port right up near your face. 
Now, I'm I'm more familiar with uh, weak hand reloading. There's a couple of different weak hands. There's one where you can't see it and you just kind of grab in your fist. Uh, I, I do a quad load where I turn the receiver fully upside down. I kind of grab the butt of, of the shotgun in my armpit, turn it upside down, and grab those shot shells and load closer to my waist. So the movement from the holder to the shotgun is very minimal, but the movement from the shotgun up to my shoulder is very big. And uh, I was watching, um, again, those, those Nukem Gunworks guys doing some reloads with their strong hand. They're doing it like I would, I, you know, not even half the time I can do it. A third of the time I can do it uh, is the speed that they're, they're reloading their shotgun in. Um, so I'm looking at this this weekend reload and thinking, well, maybe I maybe I should be learning the pro like the the proper competitive way is strong hand weekend was a was a holdover um, as people were, were figuring this out because three gun techniques are advancing rapidly. Maybe yeah, I it should. Depends on uh, depends on what you're holding your shot shells with. I couldn't I couldn't do a strong hand with the shot shell holder that I have. I don't. Mm-hmm. Well. What are you doing no. quad loads, or you know, you you've got that stripper, right? So you're stripping those out, or are you doing uh, quad loads or dual loads? I've got the uh, I'm doing a weekend four shells at a time. Four by four, right? Yeah, I got a four by four, so I'll pull four out of the four by four and thumb them into the receiver weekend. You're like two generations behind on on reloading then, because the, yeah. the 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 load two was so it's about gross motor skills right the the load two no is, it's about is money fast. for reloading equipment and what you want to invest <laughs> in for shell holders I, well this I'm this hack on sp- thing was uh 60 bucks and it, it has 16 shells that it'll carry so, so oh that's good <laughs> yeah it, it, it's 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 all plastic it's not like a uh, your ap customs and the and uh carbon arms do some uh, shot shell holders they're a lot more they're yeah. much better quality but they're a lot more um, this, this guy is a lot cheaper. It's all plastic, but, uh, I don't know. Like I, I just don't abuse these things enough to, uh, like I've, I had some cheap Chinese ones for the longest time and, uh, they were okay. I just, I wanted something that was a little bit larger. Um, but yeah, yeah, Trevor, the, uh, the, the techniques on these things have gone from what you're using there. Those, uh, the AP customs four by four and that kind of thing to load two style to quad load. Guys yeah. with like really huge hands right now are doing quad loads. I'm never going to do one of those. I think the, the quads the most I want to do. Even even uh, a a two overhand where the rifle or the shotgun is you know on your shoulder and you're reaching your hold supporting it with your weak hand and you're grabbing mm-hmm. two shells off the belt at a time with your strong hand. Mm-hmm. That is still faster than a weak hand load with four shells at a time. Yeah, and you're less likely kind of to drop your one. Hands there. You're less likely to drop one with only two at a time than you are trying to get four into the gun, you know, one at a time while holding the other three, then the other two. Oh, totally. Yep. Well, you're, you're talking, you're talking the strip four and then load one at a time. Um, whereas with the traditional quad load, it's like, uh, two and then two right immediately after. Yeah. With all, with all four in your hand at the same time. I'll never do that. My, my hands don't hold four shotgun shells. No, it's not going to work. But for you, um, and this is like varying from from the tacon thing, but for you, what might make sense is one of those chest rigs, because what no, I've seen I'm not some wearing a do, chest rig in a three gun match, just for your shot shells though, just your shot shells. So all it is 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 uh, one of these holders. And instead of putting it on your belt, you just wear it up on your chest. When only when you're doing a sh- uh, a match with shot, uh, not a, a match, a stage with uh, shot shells in it. 
And uh, the purpose of having up on your chest is that when you per- turn that shotgun over and you're, uh, you're reloading stronghand, you only need to go down a couple of inches and then your shot shells are right there and then you're just stroking into the gun fast, right? Yeah. When I start you're seeing... You're not talking him into it. <laughs> yeah, when, I, when I start seeing... Is my, so my, old, my old expression that from archery holds true here as well. If you're doing something no one else is doing and you're winning, it's called being innovative. If you're doing something no one else is doing and you're not, it's called being naive. When I see, oh, there's 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 plenty of guys who run uh, chest rigs. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of guys just on shotguns that that are guys that do a lot of things that they probably shouldn't do, but don't make it right. When 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 the world champion shotgun shooter is using a chest rig, then I'll entertain it. I haven't right. seen enough for the world championships for the <laughs> shot shell reloading. <laughs> right. Well, that's those are the guys you should be looking to for the techniques, is it not? Uh, so one of, uh, um, do you know how many Easton one of hockey the, one sticks of Easton sold shooters. because Wayne Gretzky switched? <laughs> well, one, one of the, one of the best shooters that's at my range uses a chest rig just for shot shells and just for a high, like high capacity, um, shotgun stages. Mm-hmm. And he does strong hand reloading and he's like slick as super, grease on, uh, on, on reloading it. But is, yeah, is he a big fish in a small pond or is he a big fish? Uh, big fish in a small pond, definitely, mm. because uh, um, and I'm in that small pond, and I'm a medium to small fish. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it, so it I've is got no problem with you adopting a technique like that. I mean, are you ever going to be in the world's championship of uh, of this? You talking to me or Trevor? Yeah, you. I, oh, I, I don't think I need to run a. Um, I can I can quad load, so I can go strong hand on my belt because I'm grabbing four at a time. Oh, right, just, right. If I was For grabbing, Tre- yeah, two okay, at gotcha. Time, yeah, no, Trevor's never going to adopt that. No. I'm against adoption. You know, no, Trevor's like, Trevor's never going to run a chest rig because the champions don't. Trevor only does what the champions do. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But the champions quad load or uh, octo load right now. <laughs> okay, Trev, get on it. Yeah, uh, I'm right but, on that. I shoot a three-gun <laughs> match long once here. a year, and uh, yeah. Now, if we were shooting three-gun matches uh, a couple times a month, then I would just go for the APA Customs, and I would load two at a time because that's what my hand can handle, and that's the fastest way for me. And since we're like Matthew's still loading out of the pocket, we're just not shooting three-gun enough to care about our improving our technique or spending money on gear. You've got to. Wait, wait long enough, and I'll make enough mistakes that I'll send you my old gear. <laughs> you won't have to load out of pocket. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, give it to Matthew. I've got one 4x4. Four four. <laughs> Anyways, that's I, I've spent a long enough time on uh, on what I've done in guns. Uh, Kelly, what are you what are you been up to? I uh, so I haven't been on in two weeks, so I'm catching you guys up. I signed up for an RS for the RSO course at uh, Frontenac. Um, same course that I. I had at uh, at Brockville, but uh, they'd like us to do the course again at their own range. So I've signed up for it. Now that I'm officially able to go on my own, uh, yeah, so I signed up for the RSO course. You know, two weeks in, and I figure I can be an RSO. No. Anyways. You get, you get like <laughs> uh, certified by NFA, or is it a club-specific it's, course? It's the CSSA course. I already oh. took it at uh, Brockville, but they just want us to do it again, even though I gave them my certification but so i got a driver's cool. license in new brunswick but if i go to ontario i need to get an ontario driver's license no is that a good analogy mm-hmm. yeah. anyways but so i'm gonna sign up for it which 
it's useful anyways. And I can also give back to the range too. Uh, you know, when orientation rolls around and people need to get signed off, I can go and take them and sign sign off their, their cards for them too. So I figure I can give back to the range. Uh, what else did I do? I hung out at the range with Rick Kedebeck. He came up from Montreal and we went out. We bought a whole bunch of 1022s recently. Well, okay, so within the last couple of weeks. And we took them all out to see if they would work for the loaner program for Maple Seed. And we tried those out. We had a blast. Uh, we also went to SFRC uh, that day too, because basically that's what we do on Saturday. We go to the range and then we go to SFRC. Uh, talk to Ryan a bit. He's, uh, did you guys know he's expanding his store at all? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to answer. Nobody knows. Uh, no, yes. I didn't know. So he gave us a tour of uh, the store. It's going to be, he's like tripling his space. So we That's went out cool. back. Yeah. So we went out back and had a look around there. It was really, really cool. And uh, yeah, he gave us some stuff uh, for free and, and that. So cause <laughs> Well, that's always Ryan, nice. Yeah. Ryan's <laughs> really cool. Um, but yeah. Well, they're obviously so, doing well if they're going to be expanding their space by that much. That's That's great to hear. You don't often hear of gun stores doing that well. So that's awesome. Yeah. He's doing, um, yeah, so he's basically tripling the showroom space, and then he's got some other things in the go, too. So we talked about those a little bit, too. So some doesn't surprises. He do, doesn't he do rental of, like, some military equipment, like vehicles and stuff like that for films? So, yeah, he does that, too. He's part of the that whole group. There's a, It's pretty big here in Ontario. He, he buys, he's got some, like, deuce and a halfs and some... Jeeps. He's got like he's got a personal carrier as well. Everything that's yeah. Anyways, uh, so he rents those out, but he's also part of that society too. Um, They're all on his property there. And what else has he got? Um, Yeah, he also does rentals for you know uh, I think it's Husqvarna is who he rents out to. So he's got his he's got his foot in everything. And he's not. got happiness. That's what he's got. <laughs> he is a lot. So those tanks but, are are sweet. There's there's a guy in my neighborhood. I'm in the middle of a city, and there's a guy in my neighborhood who, who has one of the uh, uh, one of the ty- the tanks with tires on it. It's got like four four yep. tires on it. It's the smaller one. He drives it every once in a while around the neighborhood, and it's uh, it's it's hilarious. Kids are just in awe of a tank driving around Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Driving around the neighborhood. Yeah, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Scare your neighbors. Uh, last week, what else? Oh, I went to Lansing, Michigan for the uh, for a boot camp for instructors for Appleseed. It was awesome. We spent three days there. Miss Stacy was there. Um, but we also got to do all kinds of different things with a little bit more instruction, um, building our um, points of instruction so when we when we do have maple seed we'll have um we'll have practice we'll it'll come like second nature with our with our points of instruction uh we got to do some rifle familiarization we got to play with some so when we do rifle familiarization the bad thing is we don't have any ammo um but the fun thing is we get to play with things like ak's and yeah, we got to play with grands and ARs and stuff we get to play with too, but the AKs were the stuff we couldn't play with. Um, had a CCR, CCFR gunny night on, on Tuesday night. Had a bunch of people come out for that. That was awesome. And 
Maple seed. So maple seed has taken off like you wouldn't believe. Uh, we're now officially incorporated as well as a not-for-profit, so which is great. And we had some people come on board too with sponsorship, like Mr. Uzi. He uh, he donated ten shooting mats for us to use for for people. And that's, in, that's incredible. So no business, just just the, just the guy. It's incredible. Just the guy. He said, "Hey, do you guys need some shooting mats?" He asked uh, um, Jay. SA Tactical. Do you, are you guys familiar with them? They're out in BC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, they're they're sewing up the tactical. They're sewing up the shooting mats for us um, right now. Actually, they should be done by the end of the weekend, and they're shipping them out to us. And Vortex Canada has come on board too. They're going to donate a couple of the um, rimfire scopes too. And so for loners, the ones that we were we took out on the weekend, we're going to attach those to those. So it's amazing. It's like so many people have come on board with this and believe in the program. Um, we we opened up our Facebook page last month uh, to the public, basically, and we're now at 800 people on our Facebook page saying, please come and do a shoot in our area. So right from BC all the way across to to Newfoundland, actually, people are, are asking from there, too. So I don't think we'll be able to get to everyone this year, but uh, we'll try and get at least out east, and one out east, one out west, and a few in Ontario and Quebec this, this year. And then next year, we'll, we'll expand on that. And that's what I did this week. Not much. Okay, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we go right. on to uh, upcoming events here. Uh, the first one is the 7th Annual Canadian Podcasters Charity Shoot. It'll be Saturday, July 8th at the Guelph Rod and Gun Club uh, in Guelph, Ontario. It'll be hosted by the Canadian Patriot Podcast and the International Liberty or Death Podcast. This year's charity is the Many to One uh, Charity. Uh, Kelly, did you want to take the next one here? Sure. Four spots available for day one. Is that still true, you guys? Correct. Okay, so it, this is for the uh, Alberta Pistol course that's on July 15th. If you are interested in coming for the um, day one, you can email Trevor and Matthew at slamfryradio at gmail.com. Uh, you just need to um, mail I think in. That's, I think that's the note for, for Matthew. <laughs> oh. What do you mean? No. no. I was just going to no? I was just going to say, send, uh, send oh, us yeah. an email saying you're interested and then send an EMT, right? That's right. Okay, ah, okay sorry. Yeah, she wasn't going to read the next line. <laughs> no. Because yeah, it's in italics. Wait, no, it's not. No, it's not. Boom, fixed I totally would have read it. Yeah, <laughs> you would have read it even if it was in italics, and I would have been like, yeah. Trevor, no, remember, it's in italics. All the listeners are like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> it's, <All right. laughs> it says, we need to mail out the registration forms. That's yep. what it says, listeners. There we go. We will all get right. those out eventually. Yeah, so, uh, we do have a couple a of months to go. I mean, it is what is it? March now? May, March, what comes after March? April, then May, then we got like whatever three we left. do today. We don't have to do tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to a busy day tomorrow. I'd like to have a nap. <laughs> <laughs> you live longer that way. Right, fine with me. There's only is so it? many heartbeats, right? Yeah. Don't waste them on exercise. Don't waste. No, that would be terrible. <laughs> Are you done? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, we're done. Okay. Okay. So it was a Chinese doctor, right? He was like, "You want to live long." 
Matthew, why don't you take the next one here? Sure. Got your six charity shoot. Second annual precision rifle competition, July 22nd, 23rd at the Edson, or in Edson, Alberta. Funds are going towards the War Horse Awareness Foundation. So you can go to gotyoursixshoot.com for more info. And Trevor, did you want to do the caps? Oh, he yep, missed caps. one. You missed one. What? Yeah, because oh, yeah. it's not a double space. There, let me fix that for you. Oh, I'm messing uh, it up now. Double fixed. Oh. Thanks, man. <sighs> yeah, my bad. Now I just need to get Trevor? rid of the other one there. Yeah, so um, the second annual Ronnie DeGroote Steel Challenge is going to take place again at the Rescuers Gun Club uh, on June 3rd. Jewel, I'm terribly sorry it's your anniversary, but that's the weekend of the shoot. It's always the first weekend of June. You can send them every two years. I don't know. Uh, I'm, but, I'm, uh, I'm coming. Whatever. All right, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anniversary, anniversary. I mean, I missed last year's, and it was the 10th, so what's an 11th, really? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So there. Get over it. Yeah. Um, I hope she doesn't listen to this, so I'm going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> you are. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, uh, I just got a text from somebody, literally, uh, as I was about to read this, that said, doesn't Jewel know that the uh, Ronnie shoot is always on that weekend? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 10 a.m. is registration. Cost is 20 bucks, approximately 250 rounds. Uh, that will the, the match will incorporate steel challenge stages, so you can look those up online and see what they are, as well as some shoot-off competitions, and then we usually throw in a couple other things, like um, we'll just have a straight steel uh, plate rack stage and a straight Texas star stage. And then at the end, we take the fastest time from the plate rack and award that person a prize, the fastest time on the Texas star and award that person a prize. Right now, the Texas star record is going to be kind of hard to beat. There's five plates on the star and Nick from the draw took six shots, hit all five plates in 2.47 seconds. That means if I do it with five shots, I might beat him because he took six (laughs) to be fair. We should actually penalize them, the extra we, shots. Actually, yeah. Three Any extra seconds. shots is plus 10 seconds. Three, anyway. Well, and at least four. For, and <laughs> Definitely four five. five. Yeah, 20, so. 20 bucks for a, a steel challenge like this is an incredible deal. So it really I, is. I wish, I wish you were in my neck of the woods because I, I would do that all day long. 20 bucks, man. Uh, all of our match fees are 20 bucks. I mean, we might put up Ipsic matches to 25 bucks, um, but... This this match will definitely only be twenty bucks. Uh, emphasis on fun. Yeah, there are prizes, but it's just an excuse to get together, shoot some steel, remember our our, uh, our friend Ronnie and his wife Carol, and um, yeah, just uh, and it's steel, and you know, steel takes a, a bit of work to set up because there's a lot of lugging and stuff. Uh, people are were always asking Trevor, can you put on a steel match? So now we have an annual steel match. We get to honor somebody and. Uh, yeah, it's a good time. We had a great time last year. Uh, new shooters are definitely encouraged to attend. Some handgun experience would be good because you have to use a holster. But just keep in mind, this is not a sanctioned IPSC match, and a black badge is not required, and IPSC membership is not required. If you've got a handgun and a holster and you're competent, even if you're kind of not competent, like Matthew shoots it, he does okay. Yeah. Really. <laughs> come, on, come on out and give it a go. Oh, <laughs> so, poor Matthew. Uh, nah, it's no. all right. I don't care. For you that. listeners, Matthew is an amazing shot for the pistol. <laughs> no, <laughs> he, shoot, well. he shoots better with one hand than most people do with both. But uh, yeah, so I was cool. drunk that day. Awesome. That's okay. It's <laughs> all right. Uh, next one we have here is the Caps Use of Force uh, training. It'll be four hundred dollars plus taxes. Uh, this is the training course with Dave Young. He was on the show. What was that? A couple months ago. 
Yep. Uh, this will be October 14th and 15th in Dalhousie, New Brunswick. Go to capstraining.com uh, to register today. There's 15 seats total and only 12 left. Kelly, did you want to take the uh, BTSA one here? Okay, so this is from Jason Phelps. It's the Buffalo Target Shooters Association. They're going to be having a young gun shoot contest. It's in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, April 22nd is the Easter Bunny shoot. October 22nd is the pumpkin shoot. September 30th is the turkey shoot. And December 31st is the snowshoe shoot. Say that 10 times fast. Uh, you can contact. Snowshoe shoot, snowshoe shoot, snowshoe shoot, snowshoe shoot. Stop shoot. it. <laughs> you can contact Nick Lou. Or sign up on Facebook. Uh, if you go into Facebook events, uh, read it. Read the whole thing. It. It, no, it's events slash two eight two five two four nine three eight eight three four five seven five. Or if you go into the Buffalo Target Shooters Association Young Gun Shoot, there, right? I wonder how many people are going to rewind and listen to that because it's actually that's what it is. It's dot com yeah. slash event slash and that number I just said, and it'll take you right to it. So two eight two two five four nine. I want somebody to write in saying that they actually typed it out by hand and it took them to the right spot. No. Uh. All right. <laughs> I'll do the next two here. Uh, the first one, so I, I've been kind of going through... Because uh, clearly yeah. we can't be trusted. No, we it. certainly can't be. <laughs> well, I put this these last two Tactical in here. Tactical yoga? Oh! Yeah. Okay, I need you to tell you look? guys something. Go All ahead. right. Well, okay. Are you going to tell us it? No, or? you're going to do the shoot, and then I'm going to tell you something. Oh, okay. so you're interrupting us to tell us you're going to tell us something later. <laughs> Hold on, guys. i got to tell you something. Okay, what is it? Well, I'll tell you after you're done. So I don't I don't want to interrupt you, so I'll tell you later. Yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> remind me, though, because I don't yeah, want to forget. Yeah, remind because I'll forget. Because if I forget, it's going to be terrible. <laughs> All right, uh, go. Okay, so this I, I've been following this along CGN. He's actually trying to get a, a core... Uh, a range near Edmonton certified. Right now, they're just non-restricted, but they're trying to get the uh, restricted uh, bit done. Uh, and he's doing a tactical shotgun course uh, just north of Edmonton, March 18th and 19th. More information, go to tacticalyoga.ca. Uh, the next we one I wanted our, to show... Sorry, go ahead. We love our bureaucracy in this country, don't we? We need a firearms license. Oh, now we need a restricted firearms license. Your range is certified. You can shoot an M14 in this bay, but not an AR-15. What the <laughs> hell is the difference? I'm glad we don't have to deal with that in New Brunswick. A range is a range is a range. Once it's approved, it's approved for anything that's legal. Once it's approved, it's approved, it's approved. No, don't, don't be quoting Catch Rant. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next one I wanted to have here. Uh, sorry, did you want to talk about the yoga thing, Kelly? Yeah, well, yoga reminded me. I got the five eleven five eleven tactical yoga pants this weekend too. Do they have say? like a, yeah. a spot yeah. for a holster? How or? many pockets? They have no pockets. Well, then they they're not five no eleven. But they have like, yeah, they have belt loops on them, and you can wear a belt. <laughs> okay. They're probably the most comfortable thing I ever put on my body. Really. Anyways, just saying. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay. Tactical yoga pants That's 511.com. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> the next one here we have here is uh, Dynamic Pistol. Uh, this is uh, done at the uh, Calgary Shooting Center. And the next one that they have up is February 4th and 5th, and that will be Dynamic Pistol uh, 2. Uh, on to the news. Um the first one I have here, did, did any of you guys read this one? This one on, on this this guy from uh, Vegreville, which is I, kind of in I my neck of the woods? I did, yeah, I did. 
Do you want to? Uh, so should I read it and then we'll go, do? Yeah, uh, go reaction? ahead and yeah, give it a give it a one to over there. All right. Uh, explosives, sawed-off rifle, ammo seized after backpack search by Vegreville RCMP. Uh, two homemade Im- improvised explosive devices, sawed-off 22 rifle, and over 350 rounds of ammunition were seized after Vegreville RCMP searched a suspect's backpack. Officers detained a man at around 5.30 p.m., seizing the devices, altered rifle, which is loaded, and ammo after searching the bag. Uh, the officers and the RCMP's explosives disposal unit later determined that the two IEDs had the potential to cause severe injury or death to a person. And then they say the name of the person that was charged and what he was charged with, uh, a possession of an ex- uh, improvised explosive device likely to, likely to cause harm or death, uh, explosives for an unlawful purpose, careless use of a firearm, possession of a prohibited firearm for a dangerous purpose, unauthorized possession of a prohibited uh, weapon, possession of a prohibited firearm in an unauthorized place, possession of a prohibited firearm with ammunition, and three counts of possession of a firearm or ammunition contrary to a prohibition order. So it looks like he would have been prohibited from having any of this stuff anyways. Even if it wasn't a sawed-off, he wasn't allowed to have any kind of firearm. Yeah. The um, <clears throat> excuse me. The best thing about this guy is that he was smart enough to have a YouTube channel <laughs> where he's advertised. Real <laughs> yeah, that that YouTube uh, yeah. channel. His real name. <laughs> yeah. So he, he. I mean, he is mentally ill. There's no doubt about it. He even talks about it in his YouTube videos. Um, but thank God that he was um, dumb enough, smart enough, whatever, to make videos. Uh, of himself with all the warning signs and the public took him to task and reported him. They were like, the content of his videos was, uh, you know, I mean, there were guys doing drugs, uh, uh, doing every, every matter of illegal things and then having this gun and then putting it. Yeah. And putting on. So basically look what I'm saying folks is when you see somebody who is sketchy, not sketchy, legitimately ill, uh, and they're dumb enough to put it on social media or YouTube, you know, report them. Because this, they when they stopped this guy, he had he had IEDs on him. Where was he yeah. going? And what was he going to do? Was it just a matter of time before he attacked a building, a school, whatever? So you know, you, I'm not saying start spying on each other and ratting each other out. But if you see something this extreme, you know, step in, step in and 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 take some responsibility and report it and say something because. So many times after a school shooting or an attack, we find out, oh, well, this person knew this about him and didn't say anything. This person knew that and didn't say anything. And if the, you know, if some of these people get reported, tragedies can be avoided. Yeah, definitely. I'm, that I'm, was a sweet sawed-off rifle he had, though. That was yeah, that was a holy gun. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how he got Jesus' gun, but... <laughs> it was an old Kui, right? It looked like a Kui. Yeah. Anyways. I don't Oh, it was, you know, <laughs> like a, a, a good result at the end. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to get who, this guy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Got to get him yeah. off the streets and, yeah. and onto meds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, but, get him know, fixed. I mean, you know, he doesn't matter. I'm cynical. He'll be out again in no time. I mean, yeah, but maybe just maybe he'll get the help he needs and gets on some medication he needs so that he doesn't do this again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the guy who cut the guy's head off in the bus. Yeah. Right. Well, Just how's Now he's out on his own again and yeah. unsupervised, and that's the exact state he was in on his own and unsupervised. Yeah. When he went off his meds and yeah. attacked that guy in the ground. But he bus, promised so. to stay on his meds. So. 
Oh, well. Yeah. I mean, and I will promise to be less cynical. There you go. All right. We'll see how that goes. Um, did uh, did did you guys want to do this uh, uh, this listener no. uh, news piece before the uh, Canadian gun updates? No, we're no? we're running long. <laughs> okay, I'll do mine real quick. Um, and and, and really, so I run guns. Brought in a bunch of American ARs. Uh, they're all under a thousand bucks, and it's not just uh, oh, what was the uh, the one inexpensive AR that was brought in from the from the US? The uh, Bushmaster Optima. No, oh, really inexpensive the, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, Iron Guns has a bunch of them. Yes, there's a Bushmasters. Yes, there's a bunch of other stuff. But, uh, man, like, really good prices. If you don't want a Nork AR, that's the option for, uh, for, for a cheap rifle. Uh, Wolverine Supplies is, uh, has got in the, uh, this is not related to the ARs, but the Ulfbert. Ulfbert, please tell me that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying here. Yeah, you're butchering that. That's <laughs> great, though. Okay. Own it. As long as I'm butchering it exceptionally well, I'm I'm, I'm real happy. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, try to say it. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> the Ulfbert is uh, is a semi-auto 338 Lapua, and uh, and they got them in. They're uh, they're a little bit pricey, as you would expect such a such a firearm to be, but uh, they've got them. It's just a beefed um, up 1022 action, right? <laughs> yeah, Perfect. just upsized. Oh yeah. Yep. And then some. That's, that's uh, did a you, cool name. Do you know where that name comes from? No idea. That was a Viking sword manufacturer's name. Ah. Those were the best ah. Viking swords. Yep. And they actually were making clones and knockoffs of them. Even I don't think they were being made in China, but they were actually mm-hmm. making uh, yeah knockoffs of them back in the day as well. But those were the most sought after Viking sword. I'm sorry, my nerd is showing. Yeah. Is it a? Did they find it on an island someplace? <laughs> <laughs> Different do stores. Have, do you have one in your closet? <laughs> I did not buy one of these on eBay, no. Right. Hello for inside uh, jokes. Good job, Kelly. All right. Well, listener, Michael, uh, we're running a little bit long. We'll hit your, uh, hit your story next week. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we jump on to the main topic? Next up to talk about uh, Millsurps is Chris. Uh, Chris and I are on the Canada Guns... What is this? Uh, uh, a live video chat kind of a thing that we do that's part of Reddit? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when we were talking about uh, uh, talking about Millsurps, I was like, yeah, we gotta, we got to get Chris on. He uh, seems to know everything about Millsurps. How do you know everything about Millsurps? Um... Well, I'm flattered. I, I'm flattered that you you think I know everything about Millsurps. Um, Maybe not like Ian, but uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm I, I'm no gun Jesus. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it just uh, I don't know. It, it's something that ended up interesting me, kind of by fluke, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, kind of when it when it comes to uh, to milserps, um, maybe just start off. What uh, what kind of milserps do you got around you there? Oh, uh, what do I got? Uh, I got mostly. Uh, I started off on the Russian stuff primarily, um, and I'm going to blame that on uh, Red Orchestra Two <laughs> because I was playing that, and I'm just like, I, I, I bought a Talker as my first pistol because I was just like, I need something that's uh, that's not 22 and less than 500 dollars, and Lo and behold, the Tokarev has been that for the last, you know, 10 years. So that was my first pistol. Um, Chris, Chris, sorry, Trevor, can I jump in for a second? Yeah, sure. Uh, it, you, you say you started off with the Russian stuff. I've been looking at Russian stuff lately, and it's and I'm getting the impression that the Russian stuff seems to be the least expensive, or at least is right now. Has that yes. always been the case? That, that, that uh, since I got my license, that has pretty much been the case. 
Um, obviously, the Russian stuff would have been rarer back in, in the 80s and 90s when the Soviet Union was still a, a thing because it wouldn't have really been selling much on the international market. Um, that's around the time that I, t- you know, I talk to people and they say, oh, I could buy an M1 Garand from a bucket at LeBaron's for like $200. And I'm like, why couldn't I have been born 30 years earlier? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got into the Russian stuff uh, partially because I read orchestra and partially because it was cheap and I'm just out of university, so didn't really have much money. Um, but yeah, started with the talk rev, then I was playing Red Orchestra and using is, the SVP. Is, is, sorry, sorry, is Red Orchestra some music group or something? It's a, sorry, it's, a, it's a game. <laughs> it's a game about uh, the Russian front. It's a game about Stalingrad. Uh, oh, so I was cool. playing the Russians, and I'm shooting, uh, playing with the SVT, and I'm like, this is cool. I wonder if I could buy this in Canada. And at the time, they were $300, so I'm like, what the hell? You, you can know? buy six. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I could buy probably like 20 with my tuition money. But right, that's yeah. Besides- <laughs> Who needs education anyway if you got guns, really? Yeah, so uh, I... I yeah, you use the guns to get the things you need, right? That's, that's right. Don't buying. need no yeah. education. <laughs> yeah. If you've got to make a choice between buying a car and buy a gun, because with the gun, you can get the car. That's right. With a car, it's <laughs> hard to get a gun. Actually, yeah. that's actually a, a choice I'm sitting here debating myself right now. <laughs> Do I get a car? Do I get a gun? <laughs> okay, keep, keep going with oh, the history of, what, so, uh, of how you got in, and then I've yes. got some specific questions. Well, I got another stuff. question, though. Like, when you got your talker, was it the 9mm or was it the 762 by No, no, 20- it, was a, it, was a, it was a proper 762 by 25 Russian, I believe, 1943-year uh, manufacturer. I specifically wanted one that was made during the war. I'm like, if I'm getting a surplus gun, I want it from the war. Right. Uh, yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, because yeah, I think that's one of the cool things about them is you can you can get a rifle or a pistol or something like that that was probably used in in one of the world wars. Oh yeah, would it have been used or would it have been unissued? No, How no, it, the Russian ones they're all issued. The Polish right. ones were generally <laughs> unissued. You can find a fair bit of unissued Polish because talk they rams, were but invaded the first, ones. right? So they didn't have a chance to use them. <laughs> the Polish ones are all post-war, actually. Uh, oh. I guess they made them and then. Never really used them because it's kind of like letting the not closing the gate after the horses left, isn't it? <laughs> uh. Sorry, keep going. My bad. I'll mute my mic here in a second. Yeah, anyway, like, um, like, I, like I said, with that, I bought the SVT and they just kind of went from there. I'm like, huh, now I've got Tokarev's stuff, but the Russians made other stuff, and everyone talks about the Mosin Nagant on every gun forum everywhere. So that was the next one. The hardest one to find was a Nagant revolver. Um, because I saw them for sale, and then I went, eh, I'll buy that later. Are they and still four feet long? The What, the Mosin again? <laughs> the revolver version. <laughs> Where do you get a holster for that? <laughs> you just sling it across your back, draw it like some kind of sword. I've got this image in my mind of these revolvers, these rifles in a six pattern that go around. <laughs> no. With the bayonet. Yeah, so with the bayonet, bayonet, of course. Six bayonets. Hard to find because... Um, I ended up not buying them the last time they were imported, which was now about four years ago was the last time they were imported. And um, I looked literally two and a half years to find this just to round out my collection there because um, the only other things I have I don't have that are Russian are illegal or anti-tank rifles. And So, uh, so what can we get then? What, what Russian Milserps can we get? So the easiest ones to get are uh, the Talker FTT-33, the Nagant 1895, the Mosin Nagant, and the SVT-40. What's uh, the difference between the, the SKS as well, right? Yeah, the SKS. So that's a uh, that's post war there. Yeah. So, oh, but that one. Back up. Yep. What were the two Mosin Nagants? So eighteen ninety five. The the, Mo- the Mosin Nagant is the the rifle version, the M ninety one thirty. 
Yeah. Uh, the Nagant revolver is was the sidearm of Russia prior to World War II, and even going through World War II, they still issued it. And it's, it, uh, that, that just for the uninitiated, the viewers who or the viewers, the listeners who wouldn't know it, if you know what a Webley looks like, it looks similar to that. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. The, Not the quite, but yeah. kind of the idea. Chunky, it, big revolver. Yeah, it's a it's a weak seven shot revolver. The interesting thing with it, it can actually uh, it can actually be suppressed. Uh, I see the, a picture here with a suppressor on it, and I just kind of chuckled to myself saying, that it, guy's an idiot. But apparently, no? It, it, um, it's very strange. It's the only revolver that can be suppressed, to my knowledge, because the round, the bullet in the casing is actually not uh, sticking out of the casing. It's actually recessed in the casing. So when you cock the gun, not only does it spin the cylinder to the next, uh, the, 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 to the next chamber, it also pushes the cylinder forward, and then the uh, the brass sticks out of the cylinder a bit, and when you fire it, it creates a gas seal between the cylinder and the barrel. That is so, freaking cool. Yeah. Uh, the problem with that, though, is when you shoot this thing in double action, it has like a 20-pound trigger. So Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then again, the Russians only ever really use these things for shooting fleeing conscripts in the back. So Right, and if you shoot that one guy or the one guy beside him running away because <laughs> yeah, you're a terrible trigger pull, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Stalin does not care. No. <laughs> there will be men to replace him. So, back to the Mosin rifle. You said something about the um, M1, or the, what was it? There was uh, the 1895 the, and the, the M91? Yeah, the, the 1895 is a Nagant revolver, because that revolver. was the first oh, Okay, that was a revolver. The, okay. the Mosin Nagant, the most common one you end up finding, is called a 9130. Right. Uh, that's because the Mosin Nagant was invented in 1891. Uh, and actually, the first 500,000 of them were not made in Russia, but they were actually made in France. Uh, that's a, an interesting thing I didn't know for a very long time. And uh, French Mosins are, are like impossible to find. Um, but the ones uh, that are like super expensive. Yeah, the super expensive, probably the most rare. Well, I've never, I've literally never seen one a- a- anywhere ever in Canada, yeah. at least. I'm sure there's probably some hiding somewhere around, but good luck right. finding them. They're like 20 well, grand, aren't they? Probably. I, I you could probably ask whatever you really wanted for it. Like I've got no idea. Okay. Um, but yeah, the 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 ninety one thirty. What that is is in nineteen thirty, they um, basically upgraded the Mosins. I, I think they changed the sights on them. It was the main difference. Um, so a ninety one thirty is just basically the the new standard as of nineteen thirty. Um, then there are a couple of various carbine versions. Uh, the most common from Russia are the M thirty eight and the M forty four carbine. Um, I believe the M38 has a folding-out knife-style bayonet, whereas the M44 has a fold-out spike bayonet, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, and there's They're little... hilarious at the range. <laughs> there was, uh, we were out at the range just last weekend here, and someone had one of those, uh, one of those out, and it, like every shot is a huge fireball because the round is made for that long-barrel mm-hmm. rifle, but you're shooting it in a short one. And they were probably screaming in agony <laughs> at how much it kicked him in the shoulder. Yeah, and uh, the, the kick wasn't bad as long as you're standing up, but the fireball was was pretty good. <laughs> How is the market for the Mosin sniper? Because obviously, after Enemy at the Gate, a lot of people fell in love with the Mosin and the Mosin sniper, and and started buying them up. And of course, reefer uh, reproductions came on the market, and prices went up. How how was Canada affected by that? So. Canada, from what I understand, uh, until a couple of years ago, a lot of them were actually making their way into the U.S. instead of up here. So a lot of people around here, uh, they weren't really necessarily expensive, but they weren't amazingly common. Like, you wouldn't see stores carrying them. Until about two years ago or so, there was suddenly a 
big shipment of Mosin snipers came in. And they've kind of been trickling in since then. Um, I remember when they first came in, you could find them for about five seventy nine on that shipment, but they've gone up now. They're about $800 now for uh, for one of them there. Um, people did, yeah, they, plenty of people made reproductions with the mentality of, well, you know, these were the most accurate Mosins, but what does that mean? You know, they'll hit a car instead of a barn, so <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't really seem to care about that. So people would go and have their stocks cut by gunsmiths and have the mounting systems professionally put on. And, yeah, theoretically, those reproductions were still worth about... $500 just because of the gunsmithing work and the um, and the cost of the scope and the scope mounting system, but it, it wasn't authentic. The ones we are getting in now from Russia, as far as I understand, uh, they are authentic. They were, they were the ones that were selected to be made into a sniper variant, uh, and so that does raise the value. As far as I understand, too, a lot of them actually do have um, properly matching serial uh, uh, scope mounts, at least, if not the scope. Oh, cool. And the bolt on the sniper was bent down. Yes, like a, yes. The Mosin has a 90-degree bolt throw, so if you did not bend it down, you'd end up knocking the scope every single... You wouldn't even be able to open it, actually. You'd have to literally knock your scope off with the bolt to get the gun to cycle. Uh, so that's why, yeah, they, they have a, a bent-down bolt, a turned-down bolt there for them. Mm. Sweet. Cool. All right. Um, how, how, how accurate are those on average? Like, uh, we're, we're talking about a couple of, uh, a couple of firearms there. Yeah, the, the Mosin the Gant, um, I know the one I have personally, I didn't shoot it, but uh, I didn't shoot this grouping, but I saw someone shoot my gun and got a grouping of about three inches at 100 yards, which for iron sights from a military gun like that, you can't really expect a whole lot better. Um, but it all does depend on, on condition, uh, country of origin in part, sometimes year of manufacture. Um, the Russians would have been very hard-pressed in like the earlier parts of '42. Um, uh, then again, they did decide instead of that, they, they usually take, um, Mosin barrels that didn't meet spec and make PPSHs out of them instead. So usually the Mosin should be pretty okay. But yeah, there, there's a lot of factors that can affect the accuracy of it, but in general, about three MOA, uh, is, is considered decent accuracy for those. Oh, uh, so you're saying the 42s might not be all that good? Uh... I got a 42 say, in front of me. I say that. <laughs> I say that, but yet, like, I'm pretty sure I've got a couple of 42 Russian guns there. The the thing is, 42 is when um pretty much the Germans really decided to invade Russia. To my understanding, the Battle of Stalingrad was 42, 43, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me actually double check that, so I'm not talking uh, talking on my butt here. No, we do that all the time. Yes. <laughs> 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 Battle of Stalingrad, yeah, it was 42 to 43, August of 42 to February of 43. So right around that time would have been when Russia was most pressed to be getting firearms out. Um, like I said, though, they, they still had standards. Like the like I said, they would take a, a Mosin barrel that didn't meet spec. They'd chop it in half and make two PPSHs out of it instead because uh, they were the same diameter of bullet. Um, so in general, the Mosin should still be pretty okay. I just expect that in 42 to 43, the finish wouldn't have been all that great. But since most of these guns went through refurbishment post-war anyway, they probably would have upped them to the standard they expected them to be at after the war. Uh, the biggest noticeable difference will probably be in machining of the gun. You'll probably uh, notice more machine marks and a more of a, a roughness to the metal uh, compared to when they had more time and patience to be able to make them um because as you know as long as it chambers the bullet and fires relatively accurately that's all they needed to be able to kill the germans so they didn't care if it looked a little bit rough on the outsides there it, it still shot it still did what they wanted it to mm -hmm. uh, you notice that in a in a in a couple of countries russia i say 42 would have probably been the time that you'll probably see the the lowest quality on that but even then uh, they're 
very crude guns to begin with, so it's not as noticeable compared to things like uh, with the Germans, the uh, later K98s from 1945. Uh, and, and even sometimes the later parts of 44, you can notice noticeable differences in the in like the Mausers. Uh, the fittings are much more crude. The stocks aren't anywhere near as as well made. Again, machining marks on the metal. Um, the same thing can be said about the Japanese rifles. There's there's famous stories of the last ditch Type 99 Arasakas that people say don't ever fire them though they're going to blow up. Even though the reality of it is, from what I've heard, uh, usually no, they're still relatively safe to fire and. From what I understand, actually, the Arasaka is one of the strongest action guns from ever. Um, but yeah, it, it just when the countries are, are hard pressed is when quality takes a hit in favor of, of ramped up production, just because they're they're being invaded, you know. So that's why Russia got invaded forty two, Germany the pushback happened forty four to forty five, Japan same thing forty four to forty five. So that those are the years you're going to see a drop in quality. Uh, for those firearms, because they were just trying to rush them out there to get their men equipped to be able to fight off, um, you know, the Americans, the British, whoever it was. Yeah. Hey, we've been talking a lot about the uh, Russian firearms, but are there any other uh, Milserps out there that are they're popular in the Canadian market? Like, can I go out to the? You're saying that the Mosins <coughs> Mosins are right around two hundred bucks. So could I go go out and get a Mauser for like three hundred bucks? No. Um, you can find sometimes some Russian captured Mausers uh, on the market at retailers. Uh, most of the time, the Mausers, there's no real new imports of them, except the Yugoslavian ones. And you can find the Yugoslavian ones sometimes to my knowledge around $500, 550 or so. Uh, Russian captured K98s, I think they're running about $700 now for a Russian captured one. And they're usually in much rougher shape compared to... Um, any ones that weren't captured by the Russians, because the Russians would have just beaten these things to hell and not not cared at all about the condition of them. They weren't their rifles. They threw them around. They, they didn't care. Um, but the if you're looking for a good quality Mauser, um, you're probably looking to spend $800 at least. Um, you can find some that have had the... Um, like the Waffenop scrubbed and sometimes being converted to, to 308 by the Israelis. And you can find some of them around six sometimes. Um, but a good quality Mauser will be looking around $800, um, probably around there. And then, and then, of course, going up depending on, on manu- place of manufacture, condition, uh, stuff like that. There are obviously, um, for some of these guns, they were, they were, there are more desirable locations to manufacture, like the arsenal that made it. Sometimes mm-hmm. one arsenal didn't make as many. Sometimes one arsenal made a whole ton. So you end up with, um, with, uh, desirability depending on the arsenal as well. Um, for Mausers, obviously I'm pretty sure the most popular ones are the ones from Mauser, but I think Mauser also made the most of them. So, um, and I forget, I think Mauser was BYF, uh, code, but I'm not a hundred percent on that. Um, I know for the P38 pistol, Walthers are the most uh, most rare ones, the most desirable ones, because uh, they were also made by Mauser and uh, Sprivek. Uh, for Mosin Nagants, like I said, the most rare ones are the ones that are made in uh, Châtellerault in France. Um, SVT40s, the uh, the rarest ones are from the Podolsk Arsenal, because um, they only made them for about a year, and they only made a, a couple tens of thousands of them, versus a total production of about two million. Um, but yeah, when, when it comes to Milserp, like, uh, there, there's a lot of things that can affect value. Um, with Mosin Nagants, I mean, the primary ones you find now, 
uh, from World War II were made at Tula or Izhevsk, and God knows they made million, they made forty something million Mosin-Nagants, if I'm not mistaken. So <laughs> there, there's there's tons of them from Tula and Izhevsk. Neither arsenal is particularly rare. Um, more desirable from Tula or Izhevsk are the hex receiver, and what that means is the receiver is a hexagonal shape versus a rounded shape, which is something they changed um, right around the beginning of the war to simplify production. Um, and the hex receiver Mosins usually run about 150 bucks more compared to standard one. So yeah, there's there's just uh, there's a lot of factors that can affect the value of a gun. But yeah, with a to to kind of answer the original question I deviated away from, it's not as easy to just go down to like Canadian Tire and pick up a Mauser the way you can pick up a Mosin because there hasn't been a new importation of Mausers aside from the ones from Russia for a very long time. And because of that, I mean, it's not like they're uncommon, but it's just the people who own them have have basically inflated the value on them compared to what they would have bought them for back in the day. Um, so the uh, a Mauser is going to cost you more compared mm-hmm. to to like uh, pretty much any anything from any other country is going to cost more than anything from Russia. <laughs> Well, what are the other? Um, we're, we've been talking Mausers now, and and the Russian. What are the, what are the other um, common milsorps that you get so, around here? <laughs> in Canada, especially, everyone knows the Lee Enfield, the three hundred three British. I mean, like it's it's one thing you hear from tons of guys. Oh, my grandpa's old three hundred three. Uh, the the Lee Enfield rifle, just because of its history and usage by the Canadian Army and the and the British Commonwealth during World Wars One and Two, uh, it makes it a very desirable military surplus gun for for Canadians to have. Just were because we, of that, that national history there, Chris, were we still carrying it in Korea? Um, you know, I think we were. Um, we didn't really have a huge replacement at that time, and I'm not sure when the FAL came out. But I mean, Korea happened pretty immediately post-war, like 1950 exactly. or so, because we really didn't have much time to adapt there. I know America uh, in Korea was starting to trial the uh, M14 rifle by the end. Yeah, they, they still went yeah. in with. Garands and M1 carbines. Yeah, exactly, and we we really didn't have much time to adapt ourselves either. So we still probably would have been using uh, Enfield's uh, number 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 uh, four Mark twos and the number five Jungle carbine. The Jungle carbine really didn't actually see much usage during World War II, but it saw much more usage in uh, Korea and even Vietnam as well by uh, by some troops. But it didn't it didn't have the the Jungle carbine variant didn't have a very long run. They didn't they stop producing it after just like three years because of the quote unquote supposed inaccuracies of it? Um, Wouldn't hold zero. I'm not really sure. Yeah, about that wandering zero was a, uh, Yeah, I've heard about the wandering zero. I'm not really sure about three years. I swear I've seen long branch jungle carbines from like what? the late 40s. Oh, slow down. Long branch produced a jungle carbine? If I'm not mistaken, yeah. Oh, oh, oh great. Now if I, I am one. not mistaken, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen Long Branch Jungle Carbines advertised up on uh, on some used gun sites before, and I think really? I, I, I no swear idea. I've they seen some them. from '44. I don't want I don't want to say I've seen some from the '50s, but I almost feel like I have. I'm, I'm not just looking a, at the. Uh, sure. It looks like uh, we got the C1 uh, in '55, so we might have had those uh, some of those in Korea. We we might have still had might have still had worse though. <laughs> Well, Korea started 50 to 52, yeah. So yeah. Um, hmm. yeah, here it says uh, production began 44 and ended in uh, 47, 47 here for the Jungle Carbine. Um, but I'm just wondering if that's for the for the British production and not the Canadian. Hmm. Uh, Possibly. I swear I've seen a long branch. Now I, now I have to 
look. I have to look this up now. <laughs> yeah, if, if Long Ranch produced a jungle carbine, I'm going to want one. I mean, my one of my uh, even like I've started a Millsurp collection kind of recently, and even before that, I wanted a Long Branch Lee Enfield because of the Canadian history uh, involved in it. And the jungle carbine is my favorite Lee Enfield outside the Long Branch. So now, if you tell me Long Branch makes a jungle carbine, I definitely need to get my hands on one. Um, question for you, Chris. Yep. Do you know anything about the Savage Number Four Mark One? Yeah, the the Savage ones. Uh, basically, the the Savage production of the Number Four Mark One was just, uh, as far as I understand, to supplement uh, uh, the British arsenals because um, obviously England was dealing with the Battle of Britain, uh, mm-hmm. where the Nazis were bombing the crap out of them. So they didn't exactly like like they they didn't exactly have full production capabilities for their army. They were trying to put out as many guns as they could, and it still wasn't enough. So um, Americans uh, started producing some, because at, uh, at the time it would have started, they wouldn't have actually been involved in the war yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they started producing some to supplement uh, British and, to my understanding, Canadian forces as well. Um, and they're all marked U.S. property. The idea behind them was they were a, a lend-lease kind of thing, as far as I understand. The, the Americans, I think, were expecting to get them back afterwards, which, as far as I know, never really happened. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, there, there are U.S. property marked like every other U.S. military surplus gun. Uh, they're, they're a number four Mark I, just like every other one of them. It's just they were manufactured by Savage in the United States versus Long Branch, uh, BSA. Uh, I don't think Lithgow made number fours. I think they only made number one Mark threes. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just one made in, in, in the States to supplement uh, British arsenals. Neat. Now, any idea how many of them are in the wild? Um, How many were produced by Savage? Offhand, no. It's it's. I want to say it's it's going to be nowhere near as many compared to most other uh, companies course, there. Yeah. But it's it's not enough to make them significantly more expensive compared to most other ones. Right. Um. I've never really seen a Savage going for more than what you could really find. Uh, 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 like a good condition Long Branch or an unissued Long Branch. Now, granted, that would be an issued Savage. Um, versus an unissued long branch being at around the same value, probably somewhere around twelve to thirteen. Last time I checked, um, hundred dollars. Um, but it, it's not. It's not like they're completely impossible to find. Uh, my my Lee Enfield actually has a Savage magazine. Oh, neat. Well, I need it because my Savage <laughs> Lee Enfield does not have a Savage magazine. So I will trade you my um, my Savage. The only part on it that's not stamped with an S is the magazine. So I'm thinking. The magazine is perhaps not a. There are some markings on it that I need to look into, but um, as you probably are already aware, the Savage Lee Enfields have an S stamped everywhere, like yeah, even a, on the rear sight aperture. They, oh, um, wow, they've really stamped them every. Yeah, my magazine's got the S. It's a really blocky S stamped yeah. in the magazine there. So huh, neat. Yeah, no, even uh, like I've taken apart the the rifle to clean it all up when I got it and took the butt plate off, and even the latch cover for the cleaning or the oil can or whatever went in the back, which actually I think it's in there. Yeah, it is in there. Um, even that has an S on it. <laughs> the Americans really wanted you to know you're getting an American gun. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Um, but yeah, I would like to talk Turkey about that magazine. If, if you're willing to entertain me with that. Um, actually. what was my other Lee Enfield question? Hmm. Uh, It'll come back to me, or we yeah. can move so, on to another so, one. To, to just touch most on of the uh, most of the Lee Enfields that you see here in Canada, uh, are they original or, or are they different? Like, if if someone says like, "Yeah, I've got a 
a Lee Enfield 303. Would you expect it to be the original military one, or would you expect it to be something else? It really goes and depends. Uh, I know what you're what you're trying to egg on here. The the thing is sporterization. So it was a pretty common practice post war when people were buying these things surplus. They thought they were all too heavy to carry around in the woods, so they decided to chop the stocks down. Some people even chop the barrels down. And a lot of guys would ghetto rig some kind of scope mount for it there just because it was lighter and easier to take out in the woods. So you'll find a lot of sporterized guns. I don't know the ratio exactly, but I would not be surprised if it was something like 50-50, 50% sporterized and 50% not. Because um, back then, you know, it, people treated it kind of like a lot A lot of guys treat the Mosin now. You know, they're everywhere, they're cheap, they're always going to be there, who cares, there's no history to it. Um the Mosin nowadays, I mean, people still acknowledge the history because it is a 70-year-old gun, but like at the Lee Enfield, the war just finished. So no one thought this is going to be some amazing historical gun someday from when we went to the war. They were all just like, oh, this will be a great hunting gun for real cheap. I'm just going to cut the stock down on it. Mm-hmm. Um, if they only cut the stock, it's possible to restore it uh, by purchasing uh, wood because obviously there were spare parts made. Some people have even started making product uh, reproduction wood. Uh, just to get it to the original military configuration look there. And that does raise the value again, even though it's not uh, the original furniture to the gun, it still raises the value um, of the guns. Uh, a sporterized gun can run you sometimes as cheap as 125 bucks. Um, I got mine for a bottle of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. But uh, yeah, when it, when it comes to sporterized guns, they're usually cheaper by the... The cost of material to convert it to military configuration is usually the difference in price between a sporterized gun and a military configuration gun, um, as long as the sporter hasn't had the barrel cut. With the barrels being cut and it's completely unrestorable, that is what's going to lead you to getting a $125 sporterized Enfield is because it, it's not restorable at all. Yeah, I think I, I got uh, a Schmidt Rubin. Uh, that was chopped for a hundred bucks flat. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a chopped Schmidt Rubin <laughs> yeah. and it, you can't even use the, uh, like that, that wasn't even the kind of ammo that you can use in the K 31 because it was a much lower power. I think that was a paper patched, uh, bullet they used in that one. So I had to use, uh, reloaded ammo only and uh, i ended up just going straight lead and uh, that was the uh, the the 1889 schmidt rubin the really old really old one yep yeah yeah as far and as i as far sold. as i heard the casings back then were about two millimeters shorter as well yeah yeah dad chopped the casings back a bit but uh <laughs> it was it was really interesting it was really interesting having uh, yeah. a rifle that was well over 100 years old and just plinking with it, right? And it, you know, yeah. straight pull, like really cool action on it. But uh, yeah, yeah, not, not speaking super practical. Of, speaking of the Swiss, uh, those are often regarded as some of the more most accurate mill strips of the time. And I mean, Switzerland never actually went to war during World War II. They were, you know, the neutral country that kind of hit all of Nazi Germany's gold. Is the stories there? But um, <laughs> they they never really got involved in the war, so the guns never really saw battle like everyone else's. And for what I understand, they're all in amazing condition, except sometimes the stock will be a, a little bit worn from being stuck in the snow. Um, but yeah, the the K31, the K11, um, the 1889, uh, they popped up in the market here about a year or two ago. And then uh, I just kind of sat and looked at them and went, ah, I, I made the mistake. Tons of people have done, ah, oh, they'll be around for a while. It doesn't matter. And now there's been none for a year. And the prices have shot up from $350 to anywhere between six to $800 for one of them. It's it's kind of 
kind of crazy how fast the market actually reacted to the, the drying up of those guns. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw those at Wholesale Sports for just like at two ninety five, I want to say. And yeah, I thought the same thing. Eh, I don't really want one. Yeah. They, you know, I don't really need a, an iron sight mill cert. <laughs> and I had a and, buddy yeah. who kept telling me, you should buy one, you should buy one, you should buy one. I'm like, yeah, I don't have the space. I got other stuff I want to buy. And I'm sitting here going, damn, I should have bought one. <laughs> oh, well, you can do that for the next one, right? <laughs> yeah, the next big mill cert that comes to the country, I'll make sure not to make that mistake. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, there, there's there's stuff on the horizon. I mean, um, are, aren't we looking at some potentially some some Enfields from the uh, Rangers, right? Uh, we can only hope, but there's a debate as to whether or not that's actually going to be done to the general public. I know they said they're going to sell them off to the Rangers, yep, um, but whether they're going to sell them to the general public, I don't know. Uh, there's talk possibly of surplusing the Browning High Powers in the Canadian military as well. Um, and then there's been the fabled nebulous story of the magical Korean M1 Garands and M1 Carbines for the last two years. Yeah, <laughs> those would be sweet. Well, um, the the Garand is actually a great one. Um, personally, I think it's overvalued in our market. What do you think? I think it's uh, just like right now, if you look at a Garand, it's what are, what are they going for? Right around twelve hundred bucks. More Depends than on that what now, they're made year. of. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, the the rebuilds that people have done from uh, if they bought like a Beretta or a Breda receiver, like there's been tons of these receivers just popped up and people parted them together. And since the, the receiver is post-war and most of the parts are new old surplus or reproduction, the guns, they, they end up being valued around 12 13 for those ones. But if you find one that's got proper era's era correct parts, and a and a and a World War II era receiver. They run anywhere between sixteen to twenty five hundred dollars for a standard one, depending on the arsenal that manufactured it and the uh, the quantity of parts that are correct to that arsenal. And uh, they go for even more for the sniper variants. The sniper variant, even without a scope, will be probably around thirty five hundred dollars. That's it. Wow, because a Lee Enfield sniper, I've seen some as high as eight thousand. Oh yeah, the Enfield sniper runs expensive, but also the ones that are worth the most money for the Enfield snipers, they come not just with the gun and the and the and the, and the scope, but they have the transit case, the yeah. slings, the manuals, yep. a whole setup that they would have issued a That's sniper. That's the eight thousand price one, yeah. There, there's also the fact that several Enfield snipers. I mean, obviously Long Branch did sniper conversions here for the Canadian Army. But um, there were a number of British snipers that were actually converted by Holland and Holland. Oh, wow. So that is one of the reasons why they're so expensive. They got touched by one of the fanciest, most expensive, high-class gun makers on the planet. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, Coming back to Lee Enfields for a second, I have a question about rifling. Some of the um, rifling and some of the barrels is different, like two-groove versus... Five-groove, yeah. What's that all about? Honestly, I'm not very sure. I, I have okay. never really looked into that a huge amount, and as far as I know, it doesn't really affect accuracy one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, 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 if I were to just speculate, I'd imagine two-groove probably came around later, and it was probably simpler to do. Um, it might also be dependent on the arsenal. The arsenals might have had different tooling for two-groove versus five-groove. Um but I, I can't really say for sure. The only other major thing I know of is an earlier uh, predecessor to Lee Enfield, the Lee Metford, used a more fragile form of rifling called Metford rifling, um, which as far as I understand is a style of rifling used on the Japanese Type 38 Arasaka as well. Uh, and it, it, it does not age very well. Metford rifling, I've heard, is very fragile and leads to a very dark, 
pitted boar uh, just naturally from it. It deteriorates very quickly. Uh, so a lot of times you'll find a gun with Metford rifling and you'll look down it and the boar will look like a, a swamp. It'll look disgusting. But um, as far as I know, even older guns with Metford style rifling, if they, they might look terrible, but they'll still shoot just fine. Depending. Okay. <clears throat> um, uh, which, uh, which mill serps are your favorites? Oh, which are my favorites? Uh, I really like my SVT-40, despite uh, the fact that shooting corrosive ammo out of it is absolutely terrible. And don't, if you get an SVT-40, just don't get don't get corrosive ammo. You'll have to tear the thing apart every single time, and I guarantee you, you will not clean it well enough, and there will be rust. I've had mine rust in the same places two or three times now, despite thoroughly spending like two hours cleaning it the day I've been shooting. Then two weeks later, I'll go check on it. It's rusting, so I'll clean it again then. Then a month later, I'll clean it again just for posterity's sake. But when I'm done <laughs> with my last 600 rounds of Chinese surplus, I'm going to be buying only new manufactured stuff for that one. Uh, How available to... is the new manufactured stuff? Um, depending on where you want to get it, you can get bulk new manufacturer ammo from Barnall and MFS, and that'll run you, I think it's about 350 for 500 or so was the last price I saw for it, and that is steel case, so non-reloadable. Uh, it is available in soft point, so you can take it out hunting if you wanted to, and it's also available in full metal jacket. Um, and then there's a couple of companies that do make um, new production, more hunting-oriented ammo. Uh, I've seen Cellian Balad, I've seen PPU, and I've seen Hornady. Um, the Hornady stuff is still steel case, so again, not reloadable, but it's loaded with the Hornady's SST hunting bullets. Um, Cellian, Balad, and PPU, I'm pretty sure those ones are brass case, so if you were deciding to, to try and reload, those would be it. Um, one thing I'd be curious about, though, with the SVT in particular, the chambers on an SVT are actually fluted to aid in the extraction of the cartridge. Um, and I'm just curious as to how the fluting of the of the casing would end up affecting the reloadability of it. Mm. Well, yeah, my Troy PAR has a fluted chamber, and I've reloaded that brass, and I haven't had any issues with that yet. I guess it might just depend on how aggressive the fluting is. Oh, yeah, because I'd, I'd never thought about There's not too many guns with fluted chambers, so it's not something that usually crosses your mind there. Exactly, yeah, that was the, the one drawback that I thought that the rifle had, but so far it, it hasn't affected anything yet. I mean, I've only reloaded well, a, a, a particular case, say, maybe three or four times, but, you know, I don't know how the longevity of the of the case is going to be, but so far, no problems. No, so that's that's good to know. It's good to, to know about that then. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about SVT-40s, and, and I'm glad we are, because it's one that definitely interests me. I like the look of it. I like the muzzle brake. I like the detachable magazine. I like the semi-auto, um, but wasn't crazy about buying a gun I couldn't shoot. And I've had, uh, you know, an 858 before that I had to put corrosive through. I've had an AR in 7.62 that I put corrosive through, and I'm, I'm over it. And I'm not doing it anymore. Oh, yeah, I, I would not want to put corrosive through a direct impingement gun. No. So, um, yeah, that's good to know that you can get bulk steel case stuff out there. At least shoot it now. How how do they didn't, run? Uh, didn't Canada Ammo have some 762 by 54 that they brought in as well? 
That one, um, I don't know if it's a new badge, but I actually bought the last batch that they brought in that they advertised as non-corrosive initially until someone did the nail test, which is apparently oh. you stick some <laughs> of the powder or something over top of a nail and see if it rusts, and found out it actually was corrosive stuff. So they dropped the price 50 bucks and compensated everyone who bought it under the impression it was non-corrosive. Um, yeah. But uh, I know they got some corrosive seven, or non-corrosive 762 by 39 in, but I don't think they got any non-corrosive by 54 in. Uh, I'm not sure, though. I haven't been looking because, like I said, I have 600 rounds of Chinese crap that I still have to shoot through. Um, <laughs> I've had some rather interesting failures with this Chinese ammo to a warning for anyone looking for it. It's fine in the Mosin, maybe not the SVT. I've had the case neck split um, happens almost once a range trip. I'll have a case neck split, like massive hole in the side of it. And I look at it and I go, thank God I'm shooting a Russian gun. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one round I'm actually holding in my hands right here where um, the Chinese overcharged this particular one. And the reason I say that is because um, the primer is actually blown out on it and they it, it, it put enough force into my bolt and it was stuck in the chamber from expansion so tightly that my bolt actually sheared the rim off trying to extract oh. this round out of the case, out of, out of the chamber. And I had to stick the cleaning rod onto a shotgun cleaning rod to make it long enough, shove that down the bore, and then hammer it with a hammer to get this casing out of the chamber. Uh, the good thing is it gives me a very nice impression of what the flutes inside my chamber look like, but the bad thing is uh, I had to do that. Now, how do the SVT-40s run? I've only seen one at the range, and they spent more time taking it apart than they did shooting it. Uh they probably don't have their gas system set right is what I'm going to say here. Uh, the gas system is adjustable on an SVT-40, and that was a pretty rare feature for the time period there, um, which allows it to not have any problems with potentially hotter loaded rounds, the same way the M1 Garand does. Um, but the SVT-40, if you don't have the gas system set right, then it will not cycle properly, obviously. Uh, I have mine set. The numbers are, are from uh, one point. I think it's 1.1, 1.3, 1.7, and 1.9, I think, are the number settings on it there. Uh, and that's just uh, basically the, the lower the number, the more closed the gas port is to let less gas through. Mine cycles just fine on a 1.5 setting. Um, and usually the, the thing is start lower and then raise it until it cycles properly. Gotcha. Um, with a gas system, you'll probably will, if you're going to toy with it, want to get the gas system adjustment tool. And mm-hmm. it's just because you can adjust it with pliers, but you'll never get it tight enough with pliers. And this was where I had some problems myself. About 50 rounds in, after tightening the gas system up with pliers, it would work itself loose. And I'd have to tighten it with pliers again. Um, once I got the gas system adjustment tool, I literally stuck it on. It fits on the part of the gas system that comes loose really easy. You stick it on there, and you give it a good solid whack to get it as tight as you possibly can in there. And it lasts 300 rounds or so before you have to tighten it down again. Um, so that's one point of problem that can show up because, uh, what will end up happening is it loosens itself up and the alignment for that, like I said, it's got the 1.3, 1.5 and all that Russians and a lot of mill serfs, they cut a line in, in where it's meant to be aligned. So there is a line cut in the part of the gas system that moves, uh, compared to that and the actual rifle itself. And you're meant to line the line up with the other line and then it's lined up. How many times can I use the word line? Um, the problem is when the gas system loosens, that loosens as well and comes out of alignment, and then the gun doesn't get gas through and stops cycling. Uh, so that's why that's important. Um, 
The only other problem I've had with mine is my lash out hold open is sticky, and that's probably because I've doused it in so much CLP, thinking that that would help it be less sticky. And instead, because these things are fire so dirty, especially with corrosive ammo, it just ends up getting gummed up with nasty carbon in there and getting stickier. Now, all I have to do is pull the bolt back about two or three times, and then the gun will close. It's not a major problem, but um, yeah, it's it, 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 most of the problems, I, I'd say, probably arise from the gas system not being configured properly uh, or the rifle still having Cosmoline in it, <laughs> which can be a big problem. That was giving me a light primer strikes as well, Cosmoline. Um, mostly with the Czech ammo, not so much with the Chinese ammo anymore, but when I had some Czech surplus, I was having light primer strikes far more frequently compared to the Chinese. Um, Russian ammo, I presume, would probably be fine, and the new manufacturer stuff would also probably be fine. It's just the Czech stuff would have been designed pretty much only for snipers and machine guns, so it would have probably had a harder primer to it. Because mm-hmm. um, the Czechs during World War II were under German occupation, and they would have been using Mausers instead of Mosins and <laughs> SVTs. Um, in terms of accuracy, uh, I'm a bad shot, so I'm going to go based off what I saw on a blog um, from the States, actually, that was comparing the M1 Garand to the SVT, and they were talking about the accuracy of it. Um, they said they shot commercial stuff out of the SVT, and were getting about a 6-inch group, and then they found some Romanian surplus, and they shot the Romanian surplus out of the gun and got about a 3-inch group. And then they shot the fancy Hornady Garand safe ammo out of the Garand, and they got about a 3-inch group. So the SVT was grouping about the same as an N- as a, a Garand with technically worse ammo. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds about right to me. I've I've got um, with my Garand, I'll, I'll do about and just the the sights on the Garand are, are quite a bit better in my opinion. They're they're uh, it, it, longer. Is. It's a peep. It's it's uh, it's a nicer sight to shoot through. And I get uh, I get really decent groups out of mine. Yeah, the, 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 the Russian guns all have just a simple... It's not even really a blade sight. It's more of a block sight, really. Mm-hmm. It's not really a fine blade in the front like you'll see on some of the Mausers. But yeah, with the Garand, the Garand has a sight very similar to the Enfield, um, very similar to the M14 and the AR afterwards, where it's a, an aperture at the back rather than the, the three posts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just easier to... Easier to be accurate, longer sight radius and whatnot. It, it does depend, I think, on the shooter. Some people aren't used to that style of sight, and so they'll be all over the place. Um, I know when I was trying to sight in my Chinese AR with the iron sights, I really was... It, maybe it's because it was a Chinese AR, but it had that style of sight, and I could not tell where I was hitting to save my life. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. with my oh, they're, they're, pretty they're learned. Yeah. Um, other favorite mill serps of mine... Um, there's some I'd love to get, but I can't, uh, whether it's finances or availability. Um, like, uh, I, I can't afford an anti-tank rifle, but damn, if I wouldn't love to have one, like the PTRS, <laughs> there's apparently someone was selling one on CGN. Actually, they're still selling it for $10,000. Um, Is that all? Yeah. Uh, as far as he said, he claims there were only 14 of them brought into the country. Um, I'm pretty uh, he, sure they were a lot cheaper than that when they brought them in. I <laughs> I swear I saw like $3,000 or something I, like that. I remember seeing $3,000 a couple of years ago, and I remember seeing a catalog from the 50s advertising these things for sale for like $200 in the 50s, which was a lot of money in the 50s, but uh, it's still nowhere near the, the price they're asking for them now. Well, um, and how, then, do you, how do you get ammo for the stupid things? Too, yeah, right? uh, the guy apparently had reloadable cases, but how are you going to get dies for a 14.5-millimeter gun? Uh, ammo is hard to find if you can find it. Um, then bullets 
in 14 and a half mil. Uh, that's the other thing. I don't want to buy a gun I can't shoot, and not at this point in time at least. Um, so I wouldn't really want to buy that gun because I wouldn't be able to go do anything with it. it if that was your... If that was your money is no object and laws don't matter, you could have whatever you want. That's the one you would have. No, if money is no object and laws don't matter, I'd buy an AK. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, if money was no object and laws did matter, uh, there's a couple of other ones I'd still rather buy. Honestly, I think I'd much rather have a Webley Fosbury semi-automatic revolver in 455 Webley. And you heard that correctly, semi-automatic revolver. Yep, seen it. Yep. It uh, it was quite an interesting design, the way that the uh, the grooves were in the cylinder as the slide slide called the top part of the frame would move back. It would cycle through this pattern on the cylinder, which would rotate the cylinder. Yep, and then like a standard semi-automatic, as it as it goes back, it cocks the hammer back for you there. Yeah, yep, probably the inspiration for the Metaba. It 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 really was. Um, uh, uh, I think a lot of it, yeah. Hmm. Now I would have to go Tommy Gun because uh, I'm after the World oh. War II. Yeah, I want to. Oh man, uh, I totally forgot about those ones. The, yeah. All the submachine guns. I'd love a PPSH 41. No, I just want the uh, I want the 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 Garand, the Carbine, the Thompson, and an A1. Yeah, the Tommy uh, guns are so yeah, much fun to shoot. Like if we could f- shoot full off, the t- the Tommy guns are just a blast. They're not accurate, but you just <laughs> you aim at something, you pull a trigger, and they're so controllable. It's just in- incredible shooting one. Uh, the, the Wolf- Wolverine was supposed to be bringing in semi-auto PPSHs a couple of years ago. I remember there was a talk about it because TNW was making some at the time, and I'm just like, oh my god, when they when they do, I don't care how much it costs. I'm buying one. I I, I really want a PPSH. They're just so cool. <laughs> they're yeah. crude as hell, but they're cool. Uh, we we kind of sound like we're we're coming to the end here. I'm not sure what other questions Adriel has, but I want to make sure that we touch on the Ross rifle before we do because uh, I call it I Canadian. Think, well, this is it. It's it's Canadian through and through, uh, but doesn't seem to get the love that Landfield does. Or is that just because I'm new to the whole Milsurp uh, thing? People will still talk about the Ross rifle. The thing is, they are harder to come by and much more expensive comparatively. And mm-hmm. they were made in much smaller quantities. We only used them during World War One, really, because there were reliability issues with them in the trenches. They were a very finely made, precisely made gun and very accurate. But the precision in them does not lend well to being dirty, which, of course, the trenches were completely dirty. Um, the Canadians, there's stories of them actually ditching their Ross rifles and grabbing Enfields off of dead Brits. And the reason we didn't use the Enfield and use a Ross is because Britain wouldn't give us a license to make the Enfield during World War One. Um, the Ross rifle and, really and, is uh, the uh, the guy who really pushed the Ross rifle um, was a, 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 a moron. Canadian. Yeah, he, yeah. He, well, he was a Canadian in the military. I'm pretty sure he's like a general or something. So he wanted to make money off of having the military adopt his rifle. But that's the what Ross, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, he had a he had a, vest, a, a vested interest in it. Exactly. The Ross rifle, realistically, it's a hunting rifle that was sent to war. Yeah, uh, is is what it is. Now it's a great, it's an accurate rifle. A lot of the ones you find are going to be sporterized. Uh, Ross actually did make factory sporters, um, but there, of course, a lot of them were chopped down too. Um, the last time I was at a gun show and saw a full wood Ross, it was around 1300 I don't know if it's still that much, but it might be more. Um, but you, I've seen sporterized Rosses anywhere from 250 to 450 depending on if they're a cut down or if they're a factory sporter. And, of course, the condition of them. I mean, the, the guns are uh, like 100 years old now at this point. you, you got to think how much they've been through. 
and so it's if we're going to talk Ross Rifle, we have to talk about the the bolt and anyone who who's out there who may have a Ross rifle or may get one someday from an uncle or grandfather needs to know about the importance of reassembling the bolt correctly. If it hasn't been modified. Yes. Uh, I, I, I know about this. I haven't done a lot into it, but there was, I think it was on earlier Mark three Rosses, wasn't it? Uh, or Mark twos where the bolt can actually be assembled the wrong way and it will not lock into place when you close it. Cause a Ross rifle is a straight pull uh, rifle. So yes. when you push it, closed the the bolt head rotates into a set of locking lugs there's a way to reassemble the rifle improperly so that the bolt will not lock into place properly and then when you fire the gun the bolt will come flying back out of the rifle and into your cheek and there are supposedly reports of people dying because of this um when the reports came out a lot of rosses were modified anyone in military service should have been modified uh in such a way that the bolt cannot be reassembled improperly um, but it is something to be to be wary of. If anyone does, if anyone listening does have a Ross and they're not 100% sure about this, I would encourage them to go look it up uh, online about what the the issue was and how to identify it to make sure that you're not going to encounter it on your gun. Yeah, yeah the mm-hmm. bolt was uh, was basically like think about interrupt in, interrupted teeth and uh, uh, because yeah, your teeth interrupted. get interrupted all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, so it, 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 the lug goes in and turns a fraction, and if you reassemble it incorrectly, it won't, it won't fully engage those, and uh, upon firing, it'll come back. Uh, the test I saw, so someone actually tested it, and uh, the bolt flew back. It caught on the, oh, on the, um, on the bolt catch, so the bolt didn't actually hit the dummy in the face, but uh, it's still a, a huge risk with those. Yeah, Ian from Forgotten Weapons has a video on his website where they just or on his YouTube channel where they destroy a Ross rifle. Yeah, for, that's the one I'm thinking uh, of. Oh yeah, no! Science. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They uh, they set up the ballistics gel behind it and reassemble the bolt incorrectly and fire it with the lanyard. Yeah. Uh, and but uh, like Adriel said, the the bolt does not actually come all the way out on this particular test. Not on that one. No. Yeah, on some of them they would get stopped and just rip the uh, locking lugs of the bolt a fair bit because I think they had like what three or six per. It was a it was a lot, um, and it would basically ruin the bolt and ruin the receiver. Um, but sometimes it would be stopped by a bit of extra metal at the back. Uh, it's still not something you'd really want to take a risk on. Nope, no, for sure um, not. We have spent a lot of time on the main players, especially Russia, but then uh, uh, we touched on America, we touched on Germany, I mentioned the Japanese in passing, a lot of people don't tend to think about too many other countries' surplus stuff. Uh, The Swedish Mausers are about the the next biggest country, just because it's another Mauser, but you see Mausers from everywhere, Spain, Portugal, Turkey, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, uh, Mauser went everywhere. But then there's lesser-known ones, like Steyr, uh, actually... uh, made a rifle for Austria around World War One era. Um, the French uh, Mass... Uh, um, what was it? The Mass 36, I think, was it, wasn't it? Aren't they um, usually really inexpensive because they've only been dropped once and never fired? <laughs> no, no, being never fired makes them worth more. Uh, the Mass 36 uh, and the Mass... 
3650 whatever whichever designation it was um they usually run seven to eight hundred from what i've seen um uh, but then uh, there's a lot of there's a lot more uh, even in pistols that don't get talked about a lot uh, the main ones people think about for wartime pistols the luger which is hard to come by in canada because most are prohibited uh there's the the webleys the enfield revolvers popped up a lot the 1911 uh, the the P38, the Takarev, the Nagant revolver, but then uh, there's a whole ton of and the Browning high power. There's a whole ton of pistols from all across Europe that got used by various countries and largely ended up being used by Nazi Germany because they took over a lot of those countries. But there's a, a huge amount of pistols that people don't think about um, for being military surplus. Um, you, you find like the FN 1922 in 380. You can still get those because they're not prohibited. Um, a lot of them ended up being prohibited because Nazi Germany and a lot of uh, other countries at the time had a, an obsession with small handguns so like the Mauser HSC, the FN 1910, uh, tons PPK. of guns from FN. So yeah, the PPK, actually, a lot of people don't realize, but um, early uh, Walther PP and Walther PPK pistols, uh, they were in design 1932, if I'm not mistaken. So they are uh, there are wartime surplus uh, Walthers. Um, That's what Hitler shot himself with, a PPK. Yep. yep. If you believe that story, I'm just not going to go there, but (laughs) you you get revolvers from Sweden and Switzerland. You get, um, semi-autos from Husqvarna. You get the ladies from sweet, from, uh, Sweden and Finland. Uh, there's a, there's a ton uh, of pistols out there from all across Europe, more so than there are rifles. Mm. Um, in terms of the diversity of what's available. And a lot of people, they don't think about it. They don't realize it. Um, well, I think cause... that's probably because a lot of the Milserp collectors, no offense, but they're FUDs, and they don't have a restricted license. So their bread and butter is collecting long guns that are non-restricted. Am I way off base here? I really do think it depends on the kind of collector. If the casual collectors, perhaps, you probably see some guys who they only had their non-restricted and they just casually got into collecting non-restricted stuff there. But the hardcore collectors will have their restricted license. And the hardcore collectors will even go and buy DWATs if it's the only thing they can get uh, just to make their collection as complete as possible. Um, So it really does depend on the kind of collector as to whether they'd be only non-restricted or whether they'd be into both. There's a DY Browning bar on CGN right now, I think, for three grand. Yep, I remember going to uh, Epps and I saw a DWAT bar. They are heavy. Oh my God, they are heavy. Mm. Uh, the Browning bar, actually, there was a reproduction made by, I think, Ohio Ordnance was the company, and it retailed uh, Wanstalls, I think, brought it in. It was about six or six to eight grand or so. And if I had the money, I totally would have bought one. That, that thing is sick. That thing is amazing. Kelly, I, I, didn't you get to shoot one? Yes, I did. Now, <laughs> was was it full auto or semi auto? It was semi. So they they're allowed to have them as long as they're converted, or was it like a newly remanufactured? How did that work? It was newly remanufactured, I believe. Uh, yeah, but no, it was semi. Um, and amazing. yeah, amazing every time. And yeah, each time I go down there, they up the ante. So last time it was the 50 cal that I shot too. So <laughs> yeah, and last time I went to Michigan, which was last weekend, I got to play with the uh, uh, the MA1 and both the tactical and the old school grand. Um, so yeah. Last time yeah. I went to Michigan, I said I'm not leaving this country without firing something fully automatic. <laughs> and oh, you got it. 
Oh, I, I went and fired a full auto M4 carbine at the uh, at the gun range there. I was determined. I was not leaving America until I shot a machine gun. M4 carbine? <laughs> yeah, Daniel Defense uh, M4. Oh, 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 an M4. I, we're talking Milserp, so I'm like, wait, yeah, the M1 was semi-auto. Milserp, I went into, I went into yeah. just my yeah. discussion of what I did in Michigan. I knew um, there was an M2 carbine. I knew there was an M3. Yeah, the, M, the M1 and M2 uh, were around that time. The M1 was semi-auto. The M2 was the full auto. Um, from what I understand, not too many of the M2s were really made. Um, they kind of, I, I don't really know why. I never really looked into it too much because you can't get an M2 carbine up here. Um, but from what I understand, they never made as many of them compared to the M1. And I think a lot of the ones they did make were actually around the era of uh, Korea and early Vietnam, right before the adoption of the M16. Um, so not in a really wartime in particular there. Well, um, what about the M3? Because the M3, if we're going to, I assume the M3 came out after the M2, and the M3 had this ridiculous night vision set up with this huge battery pack that they used in the Pacific because the Japanese would move around at night, so they were hunting them down at night in the jungle with the M3 carbine because it had night vision. Yeah, I'm just looking here. The M3 carbine doesn't seem to be produced in very high quantities from what I'm seeing here, but... Um, uh, yeah, it basically just seems like it's an M2 carbine with a with a infrared scope on it. Mm-hmm. Huh, that explains why they kind of skipped, uh, why I've never really heard too much about the M3, and they just kind of went from M3 to M4 carbine for, like, in the 70s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Filthy's uh, buddy who gives us a tour of the Machine Gun Museum in Fredericton uh, has uh, a couple, at least two M2s, and... At first glance, you can't tell until you see this little selector switch just poking its head up by the by the bolt. Yeah, it's kind of like on the um, on the AVT forty versus the SVT forty. The only way to tell it's automatic is if the safety will flip in the wrong direction. Oh, nice! Yeah, I didn't even know that existed. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, the, Fun the, switch. the Russians. Yeah, they made an automatic version of the SVT called the AVT forty, and mm-hmm. they. Or they actually very shortly ordered the troops to stop using it in fully automatic mode because the gun would destroy itself. Nice. It, it was. It does not lend itself well to fully automatic fire. It's very hard to control. Very high kick, and uh, the gun actually recoils. If you've ever watched a slow mo of an SVT, it actually it, it it wobbles around a lot. So it's actually a very violent recoil. So having that in in rapid succession before it's being really allowed to settle down, I can understand why it would be ripping parts apart, I mean, gas systems come loose, having stocks crack, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually not uncommon to see AVT stocks on SVT-40s. Uh, mine is, and I know a couple of other people's are, because the AVT stock was uh, built uh, slightly thicker around the wrist. Uh, SVTs had a common uh, problem with cracking around the wrist. Um, and AVTs, uh, if they put an SVT in an AVT stock, they found it mitigated that problem because of the thicker stock there. Um, once they ceased AVT production, they still had a bunch of stocks left over. Um, so they ended up just sticking a bunch of guns in an AVT stock. Um, my stock is actually serial number matched to my rifle, too. So um, that that rifle is meant to have that stock on it. That That's how it came out of the factory. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, <laughs> I think we could uh, we could keep going here. <laughs> yeah, if you don't cut me off, I am going to keep going. I think we need to have him back. Is what we need to do because I still have. Uh, we we just glossed over so much, right? We could nerd out yeah. about this stuff forever. We could, we could go into one particular country, into one particular rifle. Even I've I've 
touched on that on Adriel mentioned that I was we do a thing on Reddit sometimes. Uh, even when I just talked about the Mosin uh, last week, I glossed over so much because of the long history of just the Mosin negant. I'm sitting here thinking, how am I going to touch on the Leanfield in a few weeks from now? Because <laughs> that one's got uh, just as long, if not longer, of a history there. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, maybe uh, maybe let's leave the the longer history till <laughs> till next time, Chris. But uh, I wanted to say, like, thank thank you again for uh, for coming out and uh, and talking to us about uh, about mill syrups. You definitely uh, definitely know your stuff, and uh, it's it's really interesting talking about the history of some of these guns and and it's I, I i personally think man like what a time to be alive where you can own a rifle that was used in the second world war um and you know it's it's two to five hundred dollars kind of a thing and, and yeah that's, it is amazing that's available to think about today. yeah and, uh, and yeah. thanks thanks for having me on too like like i, yeah, I never definitely. never in a never dreamed i would have been on slam fire radio <laughs> look at that uh, dreams do come true <laughs> <laughs> I never dreamed that I'd get to shoot down a German plane, but it happened two years ago. So, you know, don't give up. Oh, wow. Did <laughs> <laughs> that story till next time. That's from, uh-huh. that's from The Simpsons. Yes, that's a good one. Good old grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, it was a pleasure having you on. Pleasure being here. All right. Why don't we jump over to listener feedback? Uh, Matthew, did you want to take this first one from Craig? Sure. Hey, guys, I like my FN and my Walther 9mm guns a lot. And instead of trying different 9mm options, I'd like to try a different caliber or two. You guys have mentioned the 357 SIG is an interesting cartridge, and I was thinking about a 10mm Glock to pair up with a 10mm carbine. What do you think of alternative cartridges to the 9mm in regards to what you like to shoot, and are some easier to reload than others? Thanks, guys. Craig. Can I jump on on this one? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've got 45. Up. So um, the GR carbine can come in a, a 45 ACP that'll run off of a single stack mag. And uh, 1911s, you want to talk about easy to reload? 45 ACP is easy to reload. And it's really easy to pick out like on butter. the... Uh, say again, sorry? It goes through the press like butter. It is probably the yeah. easiest. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, so oh. it's a straight wall, right? Straight wall, nice and big bullet, yep. nice and big case. It's yep. all it's all really easy to handle and really really easy to reload. And uh, once you've got the cases themselves, it's actually not that expensive to. It's just it's just the cases themselves are a little bit more expensive than nine uh, millimeter or uh, or forty Smith and Wesson. And uh, there's some really interesting pistols that use forty five. So that's mm-hmm. that's my vote. A um, couple of things. One three to Three fifty-seven Sig, yeah, is awesome. Now you asked if um, some are easier to reload than others. Well, three fifty-seven Sig has it's not without its challenges because it is a bottleneck case. Uh, that being said, you can actually convert forty Smith and Wesson brass into three fifty-seven Sig brass. So if you don't have a, a source for Sig brass, but do have a source for forty brass, then you're all set. You get the appropriate dies. Um, if you already have a carbine chambered in 10 millimeter that takes glock mags absolutely get a clock 10 get uh get a uh, get set up for 10 millimeter and a glock 10 millimeter is a very soft shooting 10 millimeter compared to all steel guns because the polymer frame absorbs a lot of the recoil because it's basically coming apart and then reassembling itself under fire <laughs> that's um, basically true watch a slow motion video of it sometime it's hilarious and, and if you get yourself set up to reload 10 mil well guess what 
you're now set up to load 40 because it's the same die and the same shell plate. So jumping into 10 mil as your next one, probably your best bet. Yeah, I can't, uh, couldn't have said that better myself. Sweet. Kelly, did you want to take the uh, one from Sharp97? Sure. It says, hey guys, how are things? I was wondering if you know a good all-round load for shot shells, a.k.a. most bird hunting, Ontario and uh, uh, clay shooting. I would like to do some uh, price matching, but I don't even know what to be looking for. I have an USCON uh, AS41, so three-inch chamber. I uh, still have to catch up on your shows, but I finally got my dad to start listening, so that's something. Sharp 97. P.S. Hope to see you all at the charity shoot or before. P.P.S. Uh, two thumbs up and one, uh, it's called, how do you pronounce it? Mogane David. And Trevor, you should, Trevor, you should have pronounced that, right? <laughs> no. Nope. Mogane David. Mogane David. Right. Not a clue what he's talking about. Sorry, Sharp. That was Tor. Mogane David? Mogane David. Two thumbs up and one Mogane David. I don't know what that is. I'm going to Google it. I don't know. I, I think it's, it's a scotch. It's got to be a scotch. It's a scotch? Oh, all right. I don't know. I hope it's a scotch. <laughs> now I want scotch. I would hope uh, it would scotch be a scotch, scotch. Two thumbs up. Adriel, I know Matthew doesn't, and I don't think Kelly does. Adriel, do you do any shot shell reloading? It's a wine. I don't do any reloading, but I shoot all those things, birds and clays mm. and whatnot. Okay. Oh, yeah. When he says good all-around load for okay, I thought it was a reloading question. Well, it might um, be. Uh, I, I guess the, the answer would be, like, what size shot and, uh, um, I don't know, bird hunting is a little bit general. Like, what kind of bird hunting, right? Are we talking birds like... Probably upland. Yeah. Because otherwise, I think you would have probably specified migratory or ducks or geese or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, for bird hunting, both grouse and snowshoe hare, I like a number six. That's what I use. Uh, just two and three quarter. Number six, I've been known to hunt with Win- Winchester Universal because I'm cheap and I have pretty much hunted with it exclusively for the last like five years. But before that, I would go out and get a box of like some kind of Winchester Super X or some kind of non trap load Universal or, you know, bulk pack. So. Well, it's still inexpensive stuff, right? As soon as you're shooting lead in a in a shot shell, it's it's cheap. Mm, it's not as, to to buy the lead shot for reloading. It's now not worth it anymore. If you're know the the, or, the the already uh, assembled uh, shot shells, like to to get trap load is yeah. So like shooting birds and clay shooting, I would get them separate. I would have my clay shooting ammo. Mm-hmm. Which is a seven and a half or eight, and it cheap as borscht. And then I would have my uh, six, uh, number six shot or four or whatever uh, for bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I wouldn't mind using the same brand like Winchester Universal, but I certainly wouldn't bother going after bird with a seven and a half. I mean, it's doable, and it's, I've seen it done, but I just like six because it carries a little more, especially early in the season when there may be some leaves still in the trees and the brush is a little thicker and stuff. A six shot is going to carry longer than a seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, the difference in uh, in how far that, that they, they carry the weight is, is huge. Mm. Well, forget, we're not allowed to shoot anything on our trap range. Uh, larger than a seven and a half, and that's because it will carry out past the limits of the uh, property line, mm. the trap overshoot section, they call it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Sharp ninety seven. Yeah. The the uh, Magain David is uh, Shield of David. 
right. which is also oh. known as the, the six-pointed star of David, but it's also a wine. So maybe he's giving us a bottle of wine, maybe he's giving us a star of David, one or the other. Uh, Either way, thanks. Sharp 97, we'll need clarification on this. Definitely, uh, definitely need more clarification. Yep. Uh, why, can't, why can't we just put down one of each? Perfect. How about a, you know, if it's two things, he gave us two things. He gave us a bottle of wine, and he gave us the Star of David. Perfect. Sweet. All right. So, All right. I'm in. <laughs> if you would like to send us two things, uh, send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Uh, on to the iTunes reviews. We've got one here from Yeah, we got one. We finally got yeah. one. We've been complaining about not getting any for like a month, and finally somebody sent one, so woot. Thank you. It really wasn't <laughs> worth sending, woot. I don't think. Yeah, I believe it was, actually. <laughs> well, I think I he's making fun of Trevor, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's the, uh, the title is Great Podcast, and the review is Gotta SKS? Want to put a super awesome Tapco stock on it? Got a love of 1911s? If so, this may not be the podcast for you. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness, this is a great podcast with lots of great info and lots of laughs as well. Keep up all the great work, guys and gals. <laughs> awesome. awesome. And that did come great. to us from Rolax with three X's. We didn't mention that earlier, so thank you, Rolax. I stopped reading at SKS and Tapco, so I... <laughs> Turn, turns out he was saying it's not the podcast if you like that stuff. So actually, that, that was a really good review then, Trev. You should have really appreciated that. I do. Rolax now. is the man. Now, now. that you've continued now. to read the rest of it. Yes. So I know now how to, like, if I have to, like, write something to um, Adriel or Kelly and I don't want you to read it, I'm just going to start it off with, so SKS, and then you'll just stop reading. And Mo. then, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Who needs codes? Who needs use the word Tapco. Tapco, and Trevor's out. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you wanted to leave us a Tapco uh, super secret message, uh, head on to iTunes there and leave us a five-star review. Right now we've got 146 five-star reviews. That'll be 113 from Canada, 30 from the U.S., one Australian, one from the U.K., one Lithuanian, and one Belgium. Uh, Shout-outs. Uh, both are going to the same person. I got one from Mr. Yeah. Uzi. Who he's, he's hooking me up with some 30 carbine uh, brass. It's carbine. So, Come on. Whatever. Carbine, carbine. Tomato, tomato. It's it's tomato. It, okay. <laughs> Go to a restaurant ask for no tomatoes. Yeah, ask no for tomato. no tomatoes and see what you get. <laughs> yes. Thanks for and the brass, I, man. Yeah. And I have one going out to him as well as Reg and Paul from Vortex Canada. Super awesome. You guys, yeah, pretty amazing. Awesome. Yep. I'd like to send Any a shout-out to, to Adriel because he didn't get one yet. Oh, poor Adriel. <laughs> Thank we you, love you for Adriel. unsolicited shout-out. <laughs> yeah. okay, no problem. No, I don't want one in return. That's cool. No worries. Carry on. <laughs> poor Matthew. I invited too. you to my birthday party, so now you'll have to invite me to your birthday party. <laughs> That's how that works. Uh, uh, all right. Patreon supporters, we've got a couple of new ones. We've got Mario C, Ted M, Harold A, and Leslam H. Um, and uh, guys, we'll, uh, we'll be sending you guys emails to send you some patches and stickers. And by awesome. the way, to my co-hosts here, I'm going to send you guys uh, a larger care package of patches and stickers as well. I wanted to make sure that we had enough out to, uh, to our Patreonies <laughs> first, and then you guys second. <laughs> Makes sense. They are more important yeah. than we are. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, guys. The new the new Patreonies. That's you guys are the bomb. Welcome, welcome, yeah, welcome to the dark side. To all those past uh, episodes that we have, as well as uh, the secret uh, projects yeah. that uh, Trevor and some of us are up to. Yeah, I'm just going to apologize right now. <laughs> I don't want to say hoodwinked, but uh, no, no, there's no hoodwinking going on. I'm just kidding. It, there really is secret projects, and they are actually pretty cool. So I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Definitely surprised. Definitely you'll be surprised, surprised, all right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whether you're pleased or not, different, different opinion. I want to know who is less than honest. Not me. <laughs> well, less than H. That's less than eight. That's it. it was less than honest. It was less than honest. That's a great. That was, yeah. That was mm. the name on the Patreon score. Nice. Anyways, I really tried to like like put an artistic uh, flair on that and pull, call him Lessum, but uh, less than. Yeah. <laughs> less than. <laughs> it was smooth. Yeah, he did well. Uh, well, they join uh, current Patreon supporters: Scott N, Steve T, Dan S, Josh D, Andrew Y, Morgan S, Patrick G, Daniel S, another Patrick G, Howard T. Brian B, Dave J, Michael B, Clayton G, Robert K, Colin H, Dave Z, Mr. Uzi, a.k.a. Thomas B, Jason P, Dalton H, Jonathan S, Tyler A, Richard D, Rob B, Thomas S, Chad G, Kevin L, Ryan B, Adrian R, Mike R, Mark P, Justin D, Miss Stacy, Spencer C, Byron A, and James B. Hmm. Uh, and now for, forever italics. Yeah, and they, Trevor and italicized it, so we don't... Yeah, italics, you don't read. Every week we say we're only going to do the new ones from now on. No, we didn't say that. We said yeah, that we every now Go and then... And listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that there's funny. So don't read that part? Okay, good. No, don't read that part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm fighting the urge. Nope. <laughs> If it's on the teleprompter, I have to read it. <laughs> San Diego comment. Don't Please make me join bleed, one or more of our national firearms associations, such as the CCFR or the CSSA. It's important to support those who support us. Uh, go out there and uh, and shoot a Nipsic course. Do your black badge. Shoot a, a three-gun match at a local club. There's a lot of them out there. It's, it's getting in popularity. Bust some sporting clays. You know, it's it's a lot of fun to get out there and... It's a it's a skill that passes on to uh, to duck hunting. And if you're gonna like get out there hunting, go out, start with your uh, grouse and get on to deer and that kind of thing. And if that's not your thing, uh, get, get out there and blast some long range targets. Uh, uh, get into F class. Get into precision rifle uh, shooting and that kind of thing. There's a uh, there's a lot of different sports out there and a lot of different ways for people to get into shooting. And and uh, it's just a matter of getting out there and finding what's uh, what's around you. Check us out on. Gun Owners of Canada. We've got a forum over there where we uh, post our different episodes. And like us on Facebook, we've got 1,632 likes. Uh, we've got, in addition to those likes on Facebook, we've got three gold stars, a signed 858 petition, four f- thumbs up, two Harambe thumbs, and one... Uh, oh, man. If we put it in... <laughs> I'm going to butcher it right now. Yep. Here we go. One Mogan Dovid. There you go. Might as well start because we're never going to remember. <laughs> Might as well butcher it now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we call this thing uh, oh. done? Yeah, it done. is done, man. It's a long show. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Uh, Trevor, always messing things up. <laughs> You're welcome. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <sighs>
So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun.